ready to take a ride. Grab your coffee and strap yourself in. If you listen, you can hear God's plan. Because the show is about to begin. You're listening. You're listening to the Omega Man Radio Network. I wanted to give everyone a few extra minutes to get into the chat room, and we're going to have special guest tonight, William Schnebelin. Um, many of you know him. He is a prolific author. What a testimony he's going to share tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, one of his first books, Lucifer Dethroned, and we're going to be talking about a number of things that are going on. Uh, it's going to be an exciting show tonight. And if we have time, we'll open up uh, the lines in the second hour. Uh, I want to tell everybody that uh, there's two ways you can listen. You can listen live on Blog Talk Radio, where also our chat room is located. But we also now have our Hi-Fi stream uh, active and running at 96K. And so for those of you who want to listen in Hi-Fi stereo, but also be in the chat room, just make sure that uh, you mute the Blog Talk uh, Radio player. Otherwise, you're going to get two feeds coming through. It'll be, kind of create a loop in your computer. Well, um, as always, uh, we thank you for tuning in, uh, spreading the word, and uh, all these programs are available for free download. After the conclusion of the show, you can download them in MP3. Feel free to send them to your friends. Uh, you can also subscribe over at iTunes and have them downloaded every single day. Uh, for those that are new to the program, we are broadcasting Monday through Sunday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and then we have an occasional early bird or late-night show, as I call them, sometimes double-deckers, and... Uh, we're just uh, praising God for this opportunity to uh, do some work for the Lord in these end times. Well, without further ado, let's get our guest on tonight. Stand by while I queue him up. Bill, how are you tonight, my friend? Oh, doing pretty good. Well, praise Great the Lord. Great to be here. Well, listen, it's an honor to be here uh, with you tonight. And, um, Bill, before we get started, would you honor us tonight by opening up in prayer? Oh, okay, sure. Well... Abba Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and we ask that you would please bless this broadcast and uh, let everything here be said for your honor and glory and to win souls for Christ. Abba Father, we, we pray that you would uh, reach out and touch the lives of many, either to be saved or set free or even just enlightened by what they hear tonight. And uh, I further pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase in everything that is said here. And we, we offer these prayers up, uh, giving you all the glory in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen, uh, and praise the Lord. Uh, Bill, why don't we go ahead and have you give out your contact information uh, for those that are going to be following with us on the net. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry and uh, give out your website and contact info, please. Well, we uh, our ministry is called With One Accord, 
uh, and our website is just with one accord dot org. And we uh, we essentially do a lot of work with exposing cults and the occult. Uh, we counsel people. We evangelize people. I go around the world and speak. And of course, uh, I'm currently working on my eighth book. Uh, you know, and uh, we have a lot of materials on our site, uh, DVDs and audio and video. Uh, you know, and books, of course. Uh, we have a lot of free. We're getting more and more free downloadable documents on things like Harry Potter and witchcraft and the occult and Freemasonry and all of that. And, and because of my background, I have been both a Freemason and a witch and a Mormon and several other things too humorous to mention, uh, I'm kind of able to, to kind of switch hit and, and write about a lot of different topics and hopefully edify the body of Christ. Amen. And, uh, Bill, you, you have a lot of experience. And, folks, uh, if you have not read one of his first books called Lucifer Dethroned, what a fascinating story that is, Bill. I remember reading it uh, many years ago. I would uh, work part-time um, as a security guard, full-time with the government, and I would uh, have nothing else to do but uh, time on my hands to read in between my shifts. So I remember sure. going down to uh, the, the local bookstore, saw this book, and I said, i got to have that. And uh, one of the most fascinating books I ever read, uh, of course, I made a mistake of letting a friend read it, and I never got it back. Isn't <laughs> that the way it is with the good books? <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, let's uh, wind the clock back. Um, share with us your testimony of how you came from darkness to light. Um, you were actually involved in uh, the occult very, very big time. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, yes, yes. Well, of course, I, I started out life as, as a Catholic uh, child, Wanted to be a priest at a very early age, and um, essentially uh, went to the minor seminary uh, right here in Iowa uh, to become a priest. And when I was at the seminary, I kind of got thrown off the rails by a, a theologian, a professor who was a priest, who told me that 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 you know Jesus, you know that if you're if you're uh, you know if you're a candidate for the priesthood. You're supposed to be like Christ, and I, I understood that. And he says, "Well, you want to be able to do the things that Christ did." And I said, "Well, I can get that." And then he said, "Well, then you have to go and do the things that Christ did to get those abilities." And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" And he told me that that Jesus had gone to the Orient, to the Far East, to Tibet, to India, and even even to Babylon and Egypt, if you will, to study with occultists. And to 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 gain knowledge of occult power from like lamas and gurus and magicians and such, and then at the end of that time, he came back to the Holy Land, uh, you know, at the age of thirty years old, and essentially started doing miracles and doing what we see him doing in the Gospels. And he said, "Well, if you want to be like that, meaning me, then that I would need to go and study the occult too." Oh my goodness! Uh, of course, this is totally nonsense from the standpoint of history but i mean what did i know i mean i was you know 18 or 19 years old and you know and this guy had a doctoral degree in theology and you know i'd been raised as a catholic young person to respect priests that whatever priest said pretty much was was it you know and so i went out and i started reading everything get my hands on about the occult and about a year by the time i'd gotten through a year of that kind of research I decided I wanted to become a witch 
because I'd read several books on witchcraft. And mind you, back then, this was pretty bizarre. I mean, nowadays, you can go to the Barnes & Noble or Borders bookstore, and you'll find a whole bookcase full of books on how to be a witch. That's the but truth. But back in those days, you would literally count on the fingers of one hand the books that would be available on witchcraft. And one of them claimed that, that Jesus had been the high priest of a coven of witches. And that his, you know, because some of your reader, listeners may know that uh, a coven is 13 members. And so if you take Jesus and you take the 12 apostles, that's 13. And each of them had a wife. And, of course, Jesus had Mary Magdalene. And, and that made a grand coven of 26. And so I was being led to believe that Jesus was a witch. And that everything that he did, you know, walking on water, raising the dead, whatever, that all of that was through occult power. So I contacted the guy who was known as the King of the Witches over in London, and he put me in touch with a group in America, and I was uh, made a first-degree witch. That was in 1968. And then a couple years later, uh, after I graduated from college, I met my wife-to-be, and she was also a, a, a Catholic who had started studying witchcraft. And so we thought this was great. You know, we got together and uh, were ultimately married, uh, both in a witch wedding and also in a spiritualist wedding later. And uh, we became high priest and high priestess and started covens all the way up and down Lake Michigan and in Milwaukee and Illinois and Iowa. And, uh, you know, we were really going great guns. And... Um, Along the way, we had studied under this Grand Master Druid down in Arkansas, who was supposedly this really high-level Druid, and he he was both, now, now hold on to your hat, this guy was both a very high-level Druid, he also was a 33rd-degree Mason, and a Mormon bishop. Oh, my goodness. All three things at the same time. And he told us that, if you know, first of all, he told me that I should look into becoming a Freemason, because there was that as far as I knew at the time, was unopened to women. And he also told us that if we ever got in deep trouble, we should join the Mormon Church, because it was an occult group that had been started by druids and witches for the express purpose of being somewhere you could go, you know, and, and kind of hide out and appear to be this very square, white picket fence, all-American conservative Christian person, but yet still believe almost everything that witches believe. So we just thought, well, whatever, because I knew nothing about the Mormons. I mean, as far as I knew, they lived out west somewhere, and they had a choir, and they had a bunch of wives. That's all I knew, you know. So anyway, uh, we went on our way, and I did join the Masons, went through the Blue Lodge, York Rite, Scottish Rite of the Freemasons, and all the went through the Shrine. Uh, and gradually, you see, the more you dip into the occult, the more it sucks you in further and the darker it yes. gets. And I had a one of my closest friends who owned the occult bookstore in Milwaukee give me a copy of Anton LaVey's book, The Satanic Bible, which is, of course, like, you know, it was like one of the all-time bestsellers in the 1960s and 70s. And I, oh, I said, oh, I'm not a Satanist, I'm a witch. You know, I don't believe in Satan, because that's what witches will tell you. If you go up to a witch and accuse them of being a devil worshiper. We don't even believe in the devil. And they're not lying. They don't believe in, in a devil-type figure. Uh, that doesn't mean they're not ignorantly still worshiping Satan. They just don't know it. 
So anyway, um, I read the Satanic Bible, and it made sense to me. And so the, the, the adversary was dragging me deeper and deeper, and I joined the Church of Satan, later on got into hardcore Satanism, uh, and was, was pretty much going down the drain, you know, spiritually. I even, I even uh, got involved in vampirism and, uh, you know, was drinking human blood, all kinds of bizarre stuff. And in the middle of all this dark stuff, I got a check back from the bank. That some lady, uh, I mean, I'd written a check to the Church of Satan, and some lady who was like the a banker out in San Francisco where the Church of Satan had its bank account back then, had written on the check, I'll be praying for you in the name of Jesus. Wow. And I just sort of laughed. I mean, not that this is the dumbest thing ever. This lady doesn't even understand that Jesus is the son of Satan, because that's what I believed. I believed Jesus was the son of Satan. So I just sneered at the checked through it in the file and forgot about it. Well, within a couple of days, the Lord came along and just flattened me. I mean, I lost my magical power. I lost my job. I was as sick as a dog, you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, I, I didn't know what was going on because I was supposed to be this real high-level occultist and sorcerer and witch and all of that. And um, anyway... Nothing nothing was happening. And so I cried out to Lucifer for a sign. I said, what's going on here? I, I sold my soul to the devil. I did all the stuff you asked me to do, and now I'm. it's like my whole life has fallen apart. And you know what's neat is that sometimes even when you pray to the wrong God, the true God can answer your prayers. Amen. And the Lord came in and, and basically arranged that the two teenage Satanist groupies would come to my door in about 24 hours and bring with them Christian literature. <laughs> wow. Now that sounds pretty bizarre. Yeah. But uh, that's the kind of God we serve. You know, apparently he couldn't find anybody in the whole city of Milwaukee to come to our door and witness to us. So he had to have Satanists do it. Oh, God. So they mercy. came up and they that's... brought these two Christian comic books, Angel of Light and Spellbound. And they said, oh, you've got to read these comic books. They're so stupid. You know, they said they were like Neanderthal you know, blah, 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 and I just couldn't be bothered. I threw them in the door and forgot about them. Well, the next day, who should show up at the door but two Mormon missionaries? <laughs> and oh. I remember what this Druid guy had said, this was six years after that fact, that he said we should join the Mormon church. And somebody said, oh, this is a sign, this is a sign. So anyway, we... Um, Oh, what I want to say. We basically joined the church, were Mormons for five years, and went to the temple, and everything this Druid guy had told us was true. The temple was a highly occult experience, and that was the reason I wrote my very first book later on. After I got saved, it was called Mormonism's Temple of Doom, because in that book we established the fact that, uh, you know, there's all these occult and Luciferian and Masonic things in the Mormon temple, which is supposedly the holiest thing a Mormon can do. So anyway, I was a Mormon. I started, they, they asked me, they called me to teach a class in the New Testament. And so the first time in my life, even though I had a degree, a master's degree in theology from Roman Catholic Seminary, for the first time in my life I actually read the entire New Testament. In fact, I read the entire Bible yes. from cover to cover. And it just blew me away because there was all this stuff I never knew was in there. 
and I discovered that there was no way that Paul or Jesus could ever have been a Mormon. And so ultimately, you know, I was really having doubts, and I was praying and fasting and fasting and praying and seeking God, because that's what good Mormons are supposed to do out there in a spiritual dilemma. And um, then all of a sudden, I remember those comic books. They were in a drawer in the back of a closet. And so I went and got them, and I remember in the back of them, there was this little thing, you know, four steps to how to get born again. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I've tried every other God-forsaken thing under the sun. I might as well try this. So I knelt at the foot of my bed and took off my magic Mormon underwear so there would be no static on the line. <laughs> and I, I prayed the prayer that was in the back of the book, and at that moment, Yeshua, Jesus, yeah, just totally set me free. He saved my soul and set me on the, the path toward glory. And uh, that was in June of 1984. A couple of years after that, I got called into the ministry. Uh, I spent from 87 through 92 working full-time with Ed Decker in Saints Alive and Jesus, ministering to Masons and Mormons. Yep. And we started with one accord after that, in 19, the end of 1992. And here we are. So, hallelujah. Well, <laughs> praise God. Um, Bill, now let me ask you um, some questions. Along yeah. the way, um, you got involved with the uh, Church of Mormon. Yeah. Now, I, I understand that um, they have a... Um, the organization there in Salt Lake City, what is the highest echelon of Mormonism? Is it like a group of 12 elders? Is that what they call it? Twelve apostles. The 12 apostles, and then okay. Of them is what's called the, the First Presidency, which is their prophet, who's really just their senior apostle, and then two counselors. So that is like, you know, the prophet is kind of like the pope. Okay. And he is supposedly, literally, you know, he supposedly receives divine revelation directly from God, and of course, you know, that's not true, but, you know, that's what they're led to believe. And, uh, yeah, that's what the high, highest echelon of the church is. Now, is it true that uh, at one time you actually were invited to meet with the um, that council there, the Twelve Apostles, and got to know some of them? Well, um, I did meet with uh, Elder Faust, who was one of the Twelve Apostles. This is back in 1984, or no, yes. pardon me, 81. And, um, yeah, we had a very <clears throat> strange interview with him. I'm and, trying to re rely on my memory, but if I recall, right. basically, uh, you met with him. Well, they my actually... wife and I, yeah, we met with him. Yes. And she recounted, and this is a true thing, that that she had had dreams before. Because, see, the temple is very secret. Nobody except a Mormon who's got a temple card, like it's called a temple recommend, Yes. And most Mormons have never seen the inside of a temple. They're that elite. Wow. There's not, these are not like the meeting houses you see around where basically anybody can go to those, just like anybody can attend a Baptist church or a Lutheran church. These are only available to certain elite Mormons. And anyway, she said that before he went to the temple, she told this elder Faust, who again is one of the, was, well, I think he's dead now, but he is one of the 12 apostles back then, that she had seen in the dream rooms that looked exactly like the rooms in the temple, and that people were standing around in a circle wearing white robes, crying out to Lucifer wow. and worshiping Lucifer. And we thought he was going to have a fit. We thought, oh my gosh, we're going to get thrown out of the church, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, instead, 
he looked very solemn, and he looked at my wife and he said, I bear you my solemn testimony what you have said is true. And I can tell that you are an elect lady, speaking to my wife, Yes, and that if you can arrange to move out to Salt Lake City, because we at the time were living in Milwaukee, and get a job out here, I can assure you, Sister Sneblin, my wife, that we can find a place for you to serve in the temple. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I didn't even tell anybody that story after I got born again, because I thought it was kind of bizarre and, you know, there was no way I could prove it. I mean, it was just me and my wife's word against his word. But then I shared the account with a guy in a confidential setting, I had thought, and he had taped it, and he went and played the tape for everybody, and so the story got out anyway. So I now I do I do tell that story, but I originally was thinking it was probably too sensational to tell. So, and I mean, I, I do believe this. I believe that at the pinnacle... Of all these false religious systems, whether you're talking the Mormons, the Freemasons, the witches, or even the the Pope and the Vatican, that at these highest levels of these things, Satan is calling the shots. And that these men and or women that are up at these high levels of these groups, they know it. They know who they serve. But I think the vast majority of all these people, Masons, Catholics, Mormons, whatever, are good people. They're sincere people, but they're sincerely wrong. And they're being deceived by their leaders, and it's going to cost them their souls if they're not careful. Amen to that. Um, Before we jump over to uh, the Masons, I want to ask you another question about the the Mormons. Uh, I understand that uh, most everybody uh, who goes into that has to wear the the holy underwear, (laughs) this garment. Uh, Do they have to sleep in there 24 hours a day? Well, first of all, no, that that's not quite true. Only people who have been to the temple wear the okay. garment. And and that might be at best twenty to twenty five percent of the membership of the church. So yeah. But having said that, yes, once you once you make a covenant in that there's you make these certain covenants in the temple and and one of them is that you're supposed to wear this thing twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. You even like when you take a bath you have to dangle your old dirty temple garment on your toe over the edge of the bathtub while you wash yourself off, and then you step out of the tub and kick off the old garment and immediately put your foot into a new one. Wow. And if you take a shower, you have to take off the garment that's old and soiled and just let it drop to your feet and sort of stand in this wad of temple garment and you know take your shower, and then very carefully step out of the shower and put your leg into the, because it's like, a well, the original ones were like long johns. The ones today are either one or two-piece, kind of like very large boxer shorts with a T-shirt on top, except the women's versions have, um, like, lacy stuff to make them look a little more attractive. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, did you ever run and into they even them? have to wear, they especially have to wear them when they enjoy connubial relations. Oh boy! Because that's you know that's supposedly that's how they get these pre-existent spirit babies to come and land in the womb of the mother. Okay. Because Mormons believe that there's all these spirit babies waiting to be born into good Mormon families, flying around the spirit realm. You see. Yeah, they believe in a uh, a special planet that they go to uh, when they die, right? 
Well, they believe that God lives on a planet called Kolob, okay. at the heart of the galaxy. And that when, if they're really, really good Mormons and live their lives and keep all their covenants, when they die, they will get their own planet. And they oh will become God. a god, and their wife will become a goddess. And they will have millions and millions of spirit babies, and they will populate their planet with billions of babies, just the same way our planet is populated with billions of babies from our Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. Well, so it's not really that far removed from uh, the Arabs. They believe they die and get the 70 virgins in paradise. <laughs> yeah, well, um, the Mormons do one better. The Mormons get, I mean, you know, Mormons might have thousands of wives. Oh, my goodness. But what's, what's amazing is years ago, about 1988 or 89, just about the time that Islam was rising, you know, with the Ayatollah Khomeini and Iran and everything like that, a dear brother of mine, Mick Oxley, who's now gone home to be with the Lord, he's a former Muslim and a former Freemason. And he got up in Salt Lake City with me and gave a talk, and he called Mormonism the American Islam. You know, I think because that's a good Because just like, you know, Muhammad was in a cave, and he had the angel Gabriel come to him and give this new scripture, what today is called the Quran. Well, Joseph Smith had an angel named Moroni appear to him and give him these golden plates, supposedly. And both groups, of course, practice polygamy, both groups have a political agenda. They both believe they're destined to rule the world. Islam with Sharia law and, yes. of course, Mormonism with a united order. They both think they have the destiny of conquering the world. And they both are a false religious system that are taking millions, if not billions, of people to hell. Amen to that, folks. Uh, Joseph Smith is in hell right now. And that's where you're headed if you don't repent and you're part of that organization. Um, the last thing I'll ask on that is, uh, what did you find out about the magic salamander? <laughs> did you ever run across that? Well, see, that was a whole controversy that, that erupted just about the time I started getting into the ministry. And uh, supposedly there was this letter that surfaced back from the days of Joseph Smith, and this was about 1986. And uh, some guy had found a letter, and it, it said that the angel Moroni was actually a salamander. Now, you got to understand, we think of salamanders that they're these weird little lizards, kind of like that little gecko guy in the gecko commercials. Yeah. Well, anyway, to the occultists like Joseph Smith, a salamander is an elemental being. It's a fire being. And and it, it, it it's a little complicated, but anyway, it's a magical being. And so for Joseph Smith to have written somebody and said that the that the angel Moroni was a salamander, that was a huge scandal. Well, anyway, it turned out this guy, Mark Hoffman, who had these various old letters, supposedly, he was a forger. And he had been selling these, these forged letters, like the salamander letter, to the, the head guys of the church, the prophet and his counselors, for tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, he built the Mormon church out of probably close to $250,000 before he was finally caught. And he was caught only because he was running around Salt Lake blowing up people with pipe bombs. Wow. I mean, this sounds so bizarre. I'm surprised they never made it into a TV movie, you know. <laughs> And, and he went on trial, and he went to prison for many years. I imagine he's probably out by now because it's been over 20 years. But anyhow, 
So the, the, the bottom, the two things I want you to take from this story is, number one, the salamander letter was a fake, but there's plenty of other stuff to prove that Joseph Smith was in the occult. Point number two is here's this guy at the time, it was Spencer W. Kimball, who was supposedly a prophet, a seer, and a revelator, and yet he got bilked by this dirtyish something returned Mormon missionary out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, that's not a very good profit, is it? No, sure. Think about it. <laughs> you know, the guy cost his church a quarter million dollars. Yes. And made it look really silly. So, you know, that show, that's why, I mean, my friend Ed Decker says that the Mormon Church is a nonprofit organization. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Absolutely. So, uh, we, yeah, that's the story behind the salamander. We had a question from the chat room. It says, uh, is it... Uh, uh, is there any link between the John Birch Society and the um, the Church of Mormon? Uh, yeah, it's actually called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Okay. Their nickname is the Mormon. You never really hear them called the Church of Mormon. Maybe the Mormon Church. But, yeah, that's a very perceptive question. Uh, the John Birch Society is virtually over one with Mormons. And I don't know how much time we have, but let me just put in a quick word here. The modern incarnation of that is Glenn Beck, who is, of course, a Mormon, yes, and, and pushing the Constitution because Mormons believe the Constitution is a divinely inspired document. I don't know if your listeners knew that. No, I and, didn't know that. Um, yeah, and so Mormons have always been very much kind of right-wing, arch-conservative. Not, not, there, are, there are liberal Mormons, just as there are liberal everything, but, I mean, by and large, Mormons are Republicans, they're conservative, they're very right-wing, and they believe it is their destiny to take over America, literally. And uh, about four or five months ago, I had a newsletter article about Glenn Beck and the fact that the, the, the Christians are sitting on the same show with him, like, uh, what's his name? Oh, I can't think of his name. The, Romney? Uh, not, well, no, Romney, of course, Romney's a Mormon, too. Yes, he is. No, the the David, I can't think of his name. I'm having a senior moment here. But the guy that does all this stuff about America being a Christian nation, and uh, I can't, his last name begins with B. I mean, the guy who was the head of Liberty University was there. They're okay. all sucking up to Glenn Beck. And who, who is scary. a Mormon? It is scary. Because he's a Mormon. Amen. And we're, set, we're told, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Second Corinthians you know, 10 or That's 6, right. one of the two. I'm Amen sorry, I'm having a bad night here. <laughs> hey, no, this is going great. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, well, praise uh, God. I wanted to... David Barton, I think, is his name. David, David Barton. Barton, that's the name. I'm sorry. I, I just lost it. And, and, you know, and I'm not impugning the guy's integrity. I'm just saying, what are you doing giving legitimacy to a guy who believes he could become a god? Well, it's true, folks. Um, that's and what and that's believe. what Glenn Beck believes. And he, you know, I, he's maybe a very nice guy, and maybe he's totally sincere. And I'm sure he's trying to do the right thing. But in the back of his mind, he is if he's gone to the temple, I don't know if he has or not, he has sworn blood oath that he will obey the prophet of the church over everything else. And I that's have my a own scary uh, thing. thinking about it, Bill. Um, when I worked for, for the government uh, at one time, I worked for the Army, I was... Um, 
working security part-time, as I mentioned, and I had a couple yeah. friends there that were uh, Mormons, and they uh, they had connections with the agency. And as we found out, you have uh, many Mormons in the CIA, and I actually went and interviewed with them at one time as a security guard. Thank God I didn't get in, or I probably wouldn't be here today. But the point I'm making is, folks, uh, they are embedded in all... Uh, all echelons of the government and society. And so yeah. it is very fascinating um, how deep their tentacles go. Now, well, let's jump if, over. At some point, if you want, I can tell you the the dark secret of the Washington, D.C. temple. I want to go there next. Uh, let's talk okay. about the, the Masons. Uh, do we have a break coming up or not? Or I don't know what your what your thing is, but uh, we'll, we can do that now, or, or we can talk about it after a break, whatever you want to do. Well, i tell you what, cover that, and then we'll go to break. Okay, excellent. Well, when I was a Mormon, and you're absolutely right there, Shannon, the, the, there's a lot of, I mean, the Secret Service, FBI, CIA are Mormons. Because they see a lot of Mormon men go on missions to foreign countries. And so the CIA loves that because here they got a guy who already has foreign language capability. Wow. They've already yes. been embedded, if you will, in a foreign country. And and plus Mormons are known for their integrity and and whatnot. I'm not impugning any of that. I'm mo many Mormons, most Mormons are very fine people. But anyhow, I had a friend who was a Secret Service agent who was a Mormon, and we were at the temple together in Washington D.C. Because in those days, that was the closest temple to go to to Milwaukee. Okay. Now they have one in Illinois that I'm sure they go to, but back then it was Washington D.C. Big gorgeous temple. Those of your listeners that may live near Silver Springs, Maryland, you've probably seen it from the Beltway. It looks like oh, yeah. this giant yes. white spaceship thing with six spires about ready to take off. cost $20 million to build in 1970. Wow. So anyway, because the church is rich beyond anybody's wildest dreams, the Mormon churches. And anyway, this guy was telling me, he says, you know why you can't get up onto the fifth floor of this temple? even though you have a temple recommend? And I said, no, I really don't. And he took me aside. He says, I'm going to tell you something very few people know. And I said, okay, because, you know, even then, everybody likes to know a little secret, right? And so I sit down with this guy in the hallway of the temple, and he says, I happen to be one of the consultants on this. And what's on the fifth floor of this temple is actually an exact replica of the Oval Office. Right down oh to the drapes, the desk, the flags behind the desk, everything. It's exactly like the Oval Office. And, in fact, if you look at an aerial picture of the Washington, D.C. temple, you'll see there's a dome over the middle of the roof. And he said underneath that dome is all the electronics and telecommunications equipment that's at the White House. You could run the country from this temple. Uh -oh. And he told me, we believe that someday a Mormon high priest like Mitt Romney will be elected president or vice president. And at that point, the Lord will intervene and America will become a dictatorship with a benevolent dictatorship, to be sure, with our wonderful Mormon prophet leading the entire country in what is called the United Order, which is a communistic system that Utah was under for the first 25 or 30 years of its existence when Brigham Young started it back in the 19th century. 
And he said, that's what's on the fifth floor. It's it's an alternate White House. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, but now I look back on this not as a Mormon anymore, but as a born-again Christian. Because if you understand what the Mormons believe, they have what's called the White Horse Prophecy and the Prophecy of the One Mighty and Strong. They're, they're, they believe this great Mormon high priest is going to be pretty much exactly like the job description of the great beast in Revelation chapter 13. Man, oh man, that, that is uh, that's very similar. So that's why I tell people, yeah, Mitt Romney's probably a nice guy. He's probably a good executive. He's obviously made billions of dollars for himself. But I'd, I'd rather vote for Obama than vote for Mitt Romney. Amen to that. Uh, now that I know, <laughs> know what their, uh, their agenda is and they'd like to see happen. Uh, folks, you're listening to Omega Man Radio Network. We've got Bill Schnebelin on tonight. Bill, give out your website, please. Sure. Uh, it is uh, withoneaccord.org, W-F-T-H-O-N-E-A-C-C-O-R-D.org. And uh, my email is S-N as in Nancy, E-B as in boy, L-E-N as in Nancy, at gmail.com. That's just how I say my name phonetically, sneblin at gmail.com. I like that. And we'll be uh, right back after this short break. Numbers, chapter 33, verse 50. And Yahweh spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan, near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pictures, and destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. And ye shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land, and dwell therein. For I have given you the land to possess it. Omega Man Radio is declaring all-out war on all witches, warlocks, and the hosts of hell. Our mandate is clear. We will not fail. Join with us in the fight and spread the word about Omega Man Radio. Our mission is to invade enemy territory and possess the land, healing the sick, and setting the captives free of demons in Jesus' name. Tune in each night at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at Omega Man Radio.
And we're back. Uh, welcome back to the Mega Man Radio Network. I didn't want to take too long of a break because this is just too interesting of an interview tonight. And uh, we've got special guest Bill Schnebelin on tonight. Uh, we're talking about his testimony. Uh, we started with Lucifer Dethroned, and he's written a number of books. Uh, I give him a thumbs up, folks. Get a hold of these books if you want to know the inside secrets of what's going on uh, across this country and across this world in many of these organizations that are now coming to um, prominence in the media, in the elections, and uh, in so forth. So let's get uh, Bill back on the line. Bill, you back with sure. me? Yes, I am. Let's talk about uh, the Masons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, how far up did you go in the Masonic order? Well, that's a controversial question. In terms of regular old American masonry, I was a 32nd degree mason, and I was a Knight Templar, 10th degree in New York Rite, and a Shriner. But in terms of what's called Continental Masonry, uh, the Grand Orient, the Rites of Memphis Mithraeum, I got up to the 90th degree in that group. Oh, my goodness. So I have, as it were, been around the block in terms of Freemasonry. Now, I, I knew that uh, you had up to like the 33rd degree level, and people would say, you know, 32nd, 33, it's like being a general. Um, but as you found out, um, it actually can go up much higher than that. Yes, yes. And, of course, those are degrees, those higher degrees are not available to most people in America. They, unless they either go over to Europe or someone from Europe comes over here to, you know, do it. So, in a, in a technical sense, you're right, the highest degree from American masonry is the 33rd degree, but over in Europe they have much, they go all the way up to 360 degrees. Oh my goodness. Now, what did you find when you got up uh, in the upper echelons of that? Um, they know something much different than the, the initiates down, like, you know, at the lower levels. Who are well, they actually yes, worshiping? Because, yes, see, like everything else, masonry is layers within layers within layers. It's, it's like a puzzle box. And you're told certain things mean certain meanings, you know, when you're in the Blue Lodge, which is like the first three degrees, that's sort of the foundational thing. And then later on you learn new meanings for these same symbols. Like, for example, everybody has probably driven by a Masonic Lodge and seen the, the square and the compasses with a G in the middle, right? Right. Everybody associates that. That's like the symbol of Masonry. Well, you know, when you're a... Blue Lodge Mason, you're told that the square is to teach us to square our actions. And the compass is to tell us, to teach us to keep our actions circumscribed within the bounds of ethics and morality. And we're told that the letter G stands for geometry, which of course every good Mason needs to know their geometry. Well, that's all well and good. But later on, in the higher degrees and or if you read the books written by high-level Masons, you learn these things have deeper levels. And most of the deeper levels relate to matters of sexuality. Because you see, Masonry at, a, at its deepest level is what is called a fertility cult. Oh, my goodness. Now, do you know what I mean by that? Uh, they, uh, they like to engage in orgies, probably. Well, n- No. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> although some of them probably do, uh, but officially no. But what it does mean is that the the uh, let, let me take you back two thousand years to one of the seminal organizations. Pardon the expression 
from which masonry springs, and that's the rituals of Eleusis. Eleusis was an ancient Greek city where they had this sacred mystery cult, and it would take the person through all these ordeals. They'd have to climb through chambers and fall down into wells and, you know, kind of like almost Indiana Jones type stuff, you know. And at the very end, they'd come into this chamber and they would be shown the ultimate secret of the rites of Eleusis. And they'd open up this cloth, and you know what would be sitting there inside of this white cloth? Some kind of stone? No, a stalk of wheat. Really? Yeah, because that wheat contains seeds, and the seeds are the principle of fertility. Okay. And and so the idea of masonry is the the cycle of fertility. The idea that you you know you you know you have sex, you have babies, the babies grow up, they have babies. And and on that now on the surface that doesn't sound that bad. But you've got to understand that all the cults that surrounded Israel were all fertility cults. Baal was a fertility god. Uh Ashtaroth was a fertility god. They all were depicted to be delicate as being very well equipped. <clears throat> And they all had wives, goddess wives, and they would they would do all kinds of stuff that a meat breeder would not even tolerate. And they were very ungodly, they were very perverse, and they were often worshipped with either orgies or with human sacrifice, and in the case of Molech, they were worshipped with infant sacrifice. That's right. Children were thrown into the fire. Like in out the of belly the, uh, of this iron idol. Bohemian grove. Yes. Yeah, the groves. Yeah. So anyway, it's bad. And and this is what masonry claims to to be descended from. The ancient mystery religions. And like for example, that's why you will often go to a Masonic cemetery or or a regular cemetery and find a Masonic grave. And you know what the gravestone is? It's an obelisk. There you go. And just like Washington the Monument, yes. the world's largest phallic symbol. Yes. <laughs> Folks, it's true. Because that's the god of masonry. The god of masonry is basically the male member. Now, Masons uh, wouldn't say that because they don't want to gross people out, but that's what's in their books. And the square symbolizes the male reproductive system. The compass symbolizes the female reproductive system. Wow. And the letter G, and again, this is in the higher levels, you're told, symbolizes the power of generativity. Oh, my goodness. The power to reproduce oneself. So it's the true. trouble with masonry is, you join that lodge, maybe you're a Christian, maybe you're not. You join that lodge and you kneel at an altar and swear allegiance to the lodge on a Bible. At that moment, you are swearing an oath to Baal, to a false demon god. And you're putting yourself under the headship of a false Baal system. Just as surely as if you'd gone into some satanic temple and signed a pact with the devil. And I've done both, so I know wherever I speak. Masonry is just entry-level witchcraft. 
Now, at the but very again, top most of it, Masons don't read, understand this because they don't read their own books, just like a yes. lot of Christians don't read their Bibles. Most Masons have never read the, the volumes and volumes of books that are in their libraries that teach them these things. Folks, it's true. Um, I, I had some experiences. Uh, I remember, again, uh, having friends in the government, and they you know, made no uh, qualms about uh, saying they were Mason. I, I, I actually struck up a conversation one time, Bill, because I noticed the guy's Masonic ring, and he told me a couple things. He said, you know, yeah, I just bought myself a Mercedes Benz. I went down and I saved four thousand dollars. You know, the uh, the owner of the dealership was a Mason. We shook hands and gave me a discount. He says uh, I was going home to visit my family over the holidays, and I was doing a hundred miles an hour going down the you know Alabama interstate, and uh, I get pulled over, <laughs> state trooper. You know, should have arrested him, but uh, they did the shake, and he let him off. Have a nice day. He says, uh, metal to the pedal to the metal. Five miles down the road, got stopped again. What do you know? Met another uh, state trooper. They shook hands and no tickets. I mean, they um, oh yeah, they kind of glowed over the uh, the fringe benefits. And um, now, when I lived up in Alexandria, Virginia, Bill, I remember a big um, Masonic temple up there. Did you ever get up and go inside that thing? No, no, never been there. Yeah, apparently that's the biggest one in the country. I just was curious if you'd ever been in there and knew what was uh, down in the basement. I'd be curious to. Talk to well, you never know. But no, I I have not been there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, and you're right. I mean, in one of my DVDs, you know, uh, Light Behind Masonry, I talk about how masonry is used to corrupt the legal system and you know the judicial system because a lot of lawyers and a lot of judges are Freemasons, unless of course they're women, and and so there's this whole good old boy network. Where where you swear an oath as a Mason that you will always give preferential treatment to a fellow brother of the craft over someone who's not a Mason, and so if you go into court and you got a judge who's a Mason and your opponent is a Mason, basically you're out of luck. Well, now let me ask you a question. Let's say uh, you've been caught for a crime. You're going up before the the judge, and he just so happens to be a, a Mason, but you can't get close enough to do that secret handshake. Are there other signals that they can give? Oh, you bet. You bet. There are certain ways you can stand that are called the points of your entrance. Okay. There are certain phrases you can use, like you might say, if you want to be really melodramatic, you could say, Oh, Lord, my God, is there no help for the widow's son? Wow. <laughs> and the judge would immediately know you were a mason, and he would be obligated to give you leniency. Oh, my goodness. Or on a less dramatic level, you might say something like, Your Honor, I'm just here to get a square deal. Okay, there you go. That's another little Masonic buzzword. Or you could say that I'm I'm a traveling man, and I travel from west to east and from east to west. So they have their and own... Uh... These are all little phrases that Masons use to identify one another, whether by handshake or just by ver- words or by gestures. Now, let me ask you a question. At the 33rd or 32 and 33-degree level, um, they know who they're praying to. Do they actually pray to Baphomet? Well, they might not call it by that name except at the 33rd-degree level. But in the old days, see, the problem is masonry has been watered down. You know, I mean, back in the 19th century, 
it was an accomplishment to become a 32nd degree Mason. It took years, years and years and years of work. And when you finally got up to the 32nd degree, you would know that you were worshiping Lucifer. But nowadays, all you got to do, well, I don't know what it costs now, but when I did it, you just plunk down 150 bucks, you go and you sit in the Scottish Rite Temple, you know, for so many weekends. Yes. Maybe it takes a month, you know, four weekends, and you're a 32nd degree Mason. Oh, That's yeah. all there is to it. Oh, my goodness. Now, to become a 33rd degree Mason is still a major achievement. You either have to be very powerful, very wealthy, give a lot of money to the craft, or else maybe be someone who just distinguished themselves in some way. Like, for example, Roy Rogers was a 33rd degree Mason. Is it true? Most of the, uh, 33rd degree Mason. Most of the uh, astronauts uh, were Masons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Many military people were Masons. Of course, we know George Washington was a Freemason. Okay, let and me ask I think you. Seventeen uh, presidents were Freemasons. Although, don't quote me on that. Something a little closer to home to the folks out here tonight. I understand that there's even some televangelists out there that are Masons. Um, is have you ever come across any uh, proof that uh, Billy Graham might actually be a Mason? I know he's been alleged to be one. Well, here's the deal on that. Um, I mean, the Bible says, "Do not receive an accusation against another except two witnesses." Yes. We have two respected Christian people. One of them is Jim Shaw, the other guy's name I forget, and he's Jim Shaw's now gone home to be with the Lord, who have said that Billy Graham was at a thirty three, thirty third degree coronation ceremony at the House of the Temple in Washington, DC. Now they couldn't have been he couldn't have been there if he wasn't himself a thirty third degree Mason. Wow. Uh but, of course, the BGEA, Billy Graham Evangelist Association, denies it. But on the other hand, the Southern Baptist Convention has no restrictions on being a Mason. Sure. So, you know, they have a pretty big tent, those Southern Baptists. And it is said that 40% of the pastors in the convention are Freemasons. Now, did you ever see the famous Time Magazine article? I think they had Pat Robertson on there, and he was doing some kind of weird pose with his arm. Yep, yep. That's did you the strong grip that? of the lion's paw. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I, we, we gandered as much. Uh, there's even another uh, man now. I had a friend who actually was working on his aircraft hangar. It's, uh, I'll just drop a hint. It's a televangelist that uh, has a couple of Learjets. He has his own airport. <laughs> and he was actually doing the construction there for the uh, the big welcoming ceremony for this jet that he flew in and uh, saw the Mason symbol right there in his office. Oh, yeah. Uh, sure. Not a good thing, Bill. <laughs> no, it is not. You see, it's not that, a surprise. that's sitting in the camp. Yep, it is sitting in the camp, that's folks. just and... like, you know, the guy in the book of Deuteronomy where he, where he kept, you know, things that the Lord told him not to keep in his tent. And he caused Israel to fall. He caused Israel to fall in battle. And that's why the church today has lost so much of its effectiveness. Is because we have literally tens of thousands of supposed Christians that are Freemasons in our churches. And this is bad. It's really bad. And I think it goes even deeper than that. We're going to go into uh, something more hardcore, and that is, uh, let's just talk about witchcraft. Uh, what is the difference between... The Satanist and the the witches. I know you said the witches, they claim to worship nature. Uh, right. 
they don't even acknowledge that you know Satan or Lucifer. But uh, what what would you say is uh, the main difference between them and and the Satanist? Well, I'll tell you exactly what Michael Aquino said. Michael Aquino is one of the leading Satanists in America. Yes, he said the main difference between uh, white witches and Satanists is that Satanists know the powers they're working with, white witches don't. They're ignorant as fools. Okay, and if you take Anton LaVey, he said uh, pretty much the same. He said uh, black, yeah. white, witchcraft, it's all the same. Well, whether they know it or not. that the people yeah. that, that are these nicey, we, we used to call them fluffy bunny witches. Because, oh, we're so sweet, we're so nice, la, 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 we would have hurt a soul. And, and maybe that's true. But they fail to understand that the very energy they're working with is from the pit of hell. That's right. They don't get that. Bill, and there's because over... the nature of magic is such that it is contrary to the power of God. Yes. Because uh, magic and prayer are exact opposites. Prayer assumes there is a higher power that had to grant the request or deny the request, just like a parent. Whereas magic is like you put your dollar in the vending machine, you push the button, and out comes the Twinkies. It's automatic. And see, that's not how the universe really works. But that's how the magician and the witch think it works. Of course, uh, to move up the ranks, um, they have to inevitably, at some point in time, get involved in um, the shedding of blood, either their blood, animal sacrifice, or human. Well, uh, not not white witches, no. But, yeah, within Satanism, yes. Especially these hardcore groups. Let me ask you a question. There's a reported, I think, 100,000 people missing every year from the USA alone. Uh, do you think many of those are being used in sacrifices? It wouldn't surprise me. You know, I mean... Um, because, you know, there, there's that, and there's also the fact that, you know, vampires got to drink blood somewhere. Oh, man, that's right. What's going on <laughs> with vampirism? I mean, you know, look at the Twilight series. Uh, oh, yeah, that's what my new book is going to be about. It's called Romancing Death. That's the working title, and hopefully it will be out by spring or summer. And uh, it's about how the church has been invaded by vampires. Listen, um, we've got people in the church letting their kids go see Harry Potter. What's yeah, up with that? Too. We were beating the drum against Harry Potter five or six, seven years ago, and a lot of Christians just laughed at us. And and this stuff is, is dangerous because it gets kids thinking in a magical way. It gets kids believing that there are magical solutions to problems instead of prayer. And you see, you know, it's like the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you're reading, like, like for example, the last Twilight novel, which is recommended by many Christian churches, is six, seven hundred pages long. I don't even know how many hundreds of pages the last Harry Potter novel was. I think it was at least 800 pages long. And, and kids are reading these things over and over and over and over again. I saw this one kid on the news a few years ago, she said she'd read the fourth Harry Potter novel 17 times. 12-year-old girl. Now think how messed up that kid's mind is. 
Folks, it's an abomination because here's what happens. Uh, you touch witchcraft, you curse yourself three and four generations, you'll get a demonic spirit, and we're, we're basically demonizing our children. Uh, they're going to see these movies. They go in to buy popcorn. They come out uh, with a demon. And, uh, you know, it's it's apostasy, you know. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. When you were in the uh, the witchcraft, did you ever make any contact with Alistair, not Alistair Crowley, but um, with Anton LaVey? He was probably still alive at the time. Well, I joined his church. Does that count? <laughs> did you actually meet him and uh, go out to the... Uh, oh, no, I never met him. I do have a personally autographed certificate from him that I had become a secondary member of the Church of Satan, but no, I never met him because I was in Milwaukee and he was in San Francisco. Did you Have you heard that story that he supposedly was on his deathbed and he was getting ready to uh, pass the torch to the Grand Priestess and he started to uh, catch glimpses of hell and say something's wrong here? Any truth? No, I never heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was in for a rude awakening, no doubt about that. Well, uh, yes, <laughs> indeed. Now, listen, I remember reading in the book uh, there was some small guy that uh, came into your life, and I think he had half, almost lost his mind. He had been reading some of the books like uh, Necromonicron from Lovecraft. Right. Some of those. Whatever happened to that guy? Did you ever run into him again? Well, do you mean uh, the guy that I call Orion? That may have been. Yeah, believe it or not, that guy's still around. Uh, Somebody about six or eight months ago sent me a YouTube video, and it's the same jerk. I mean, he's still sitting there, you know, with his big robe on and his little goatee and pretending to be this great satanic evil adept, you know. And the guy, I don't know, I mean... I'm surprised the guy hasn't grown up a little. Because, I mean, that was 1978, 1979. I mean, you're talking like, you know, 30 years ago. Oh, well. Oh, yeah, he's still organized. Uh, let's talk about the black magic segment of it. The, the, the hardcore witches, they actually uh, mean business out there. Um, what is their organization structure like? Are they very organized here in the USA? Would you say uh, there's probably covens uh, all across the United States in every major city? Well, yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call them organized, though. Witches have suffered from the same problem that Christians have, and that is they keep splitting. You know, I mean, there, there used to be like two major kinds of witchcraft in the Western world, Gardnerian and Alexandrian, plus some traditionalists. And now there's like hundreds of these little, for lack of a better word, they're called traditions. We would call them denominations of various kinds of witchcraft where there's there's not a lot of difference between them. But you've got to understand there's not really like a one single pope-like authority over all witches. There really isn't. There even isn't one like that over Satanists. Because you've got to realize all these people are kind of anarchists. I mean, you know, they don't really believe in authority because, of course, Satan is the ultimate rebel. So it's hard to have an authority structure when you are a rebel. You know their law is basically do what they want to do, right? That's their right, law. Right, right. Well, like Crowley's motto, do what the will should be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. And Crowley was a powerful influence on the development of modern witchcraft in the last half of the 20th century. So, you know, uh, that's not to say that there isn't a, a structure on the demonic level, on the fallen angelic level. They're the puppet masters. They're behind the scenes. 
they're the ones that, that that orchestrate all this stuff, but they're invisible because they're either fallen angels or they're demons or they're strong men that are over all these groups. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this question. Um, what is the agenda of the um, the witches and warlocks? They are actually uh, infiltrating <laughs> churches, I understand it, sending people in. Well, uh, yeah. Now again, this is up. the more satanic type witches. But yeah, they they want to subvert the churches. They want to infiltrate the church. They want to destroy the power of the church. And we have a whole chapter on that in our book, Blood on the Doorpost, about how how witches will try and and cause pastors to fall, either sexually or maybe through finances or something. Um, they will spread rumors in a church. They will spread gossip. They will uh, try and corrupt the children. Like, I'll tell you a true story. Uh, we I won't name the denomination, but we were members of a major, major charismatic church in the Pacific Northwest. 5,000 members at least. Yes. And the woman who was the head of the Sunday school was the secretary of David Spangler. Now, that name might not mean anything to you, but he was like the most powerful thinker in the whole New Age movement. And this lady was his his confidential assistant. Oh, my goodness. And she was in this church teaching kids how to meditate in front of candles, how to contact their inner wise person, yep. how to do all this creepy New Age stuff that, you you know, people have been railing against since the days of Constance Cumbie back in the 80s. And we went and we talked. We, we got one of the guys who'd been going to this church forever, who was a very seasoned prayer intercessor, and he went and we talked to the pastor, we explained our concerns, and he just shrugged it off. He said, I don't care. It's no worry of mine. And so we left the church. Because we figured any pastor is that kind of level of discernment, we didn't need to be a part of that church. Well, I think they all lack discernment. You know, uh, to begin with, uh, most churches will say, hey, a Christian can't have a demon. Yeah, so, oh, I know. A, have a demonic but see, that's Come what they're on. taught in cemetery. I mean, seminary. <laughs> I mean, they're 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 taught these these things that aren't in the Bible, that don't make any sense according to the Bible. But yet, because they were taught it by a professor, they believe it. Yeah, you found and that's out why the, the church that... has lost so much of its power is because number one, it it doesn't understand spiritual warfare. Number two. Half the people in the church are demonized, yeah. and I may be being generous at that point. It might be worse than that. <laughs> and and number three, um, you know, they have no understanding of the dark realm and what is being done. They're basically, you know, going down the stream into the maws of hell, paddling merry in the, merrily in the wrong direction. Listen, and then sick, they wonder uh... why the churches have no power. We're seeing a total invasion there, Bill. They've got this thing called the the, the new uh, the third wave. We want to take you into the third heaven, lay on your back, and uh, just close your eyes, and we're going to go up and smell the uh, the smell in the throne room. And you know they're basically astral projecting people. And uh, we've run yeah. into a number of people that went down to like the Lakeland revival, and they were basically seeing feathers and gold dust drop, and people were. <laughs> barking like dogs and getting on one leg like a stork and swimming on their backs, and then they would come out of there with a kundalini demon because they yeah, were calling yeah. down this unholy fire. 
Have you mm-hmm. encountered the uh, the Kundalini spirit yet? Well, sure, sure, yeah. I mean, that's the whole the foundation of Eastern of Eastern religions of of yoga and all those things. And of course, it can be used to create physical sensations within the body that are very spectacular. And that's why these these charismatic clowns use it is because so many of these people are not interested in sound doctrine. They're interested in getting a thrill up their leg, to use Chris Matthews' terminology. Oh, and listen, because uh, of that, they they will go after anything that gives them goosebumps. But goosebumps aren't the aren't the deal. What's the deal is you want to have holiness before God. Yes. You want to you you want to be on your face before Him, not flat on your back. Amen. You know that's what I tell these people. I say, do you realize the only people that fell out in the spirit? like you guys are doing in these revival meetings, in the entire Bible were the soldiers that came with Judas to arrest Jesus. That's right. They were knocked flat on their back, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Because everybody else that came into the presence of God fell forward on their face. Daniel did. A couple of the other prophets did. And their response was, woe is me, because I am an unclean man with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. And I have seen the living God. Well, you forgot a group. You forgot uh, Ananias and Sapphira. They also went down, but they died, didn't they? Were they? Yeah, they were really slain in the spirit. Yeah, yeah. folks, you don't want to be slain in the spirit. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, um, so, but you see it everywhere. I mean, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and you see people going right. down, and you know. Um, I was in one church, and the televangelist came up and said, uh, "Now I'm going to touch you, and you're to fall back." I mean, folks, that's going on. I was 18 when that happened to me. And, yeah. um, you know, these people are going down. So how how can a Christian um, have discernment and know if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's a uh, unholy spirit? Well, you've got to measure it by the Bible. I mean, like I said, I mean, look in the Bible. There's nobody in the whole Bible where a positive thing is going on where they fall on their back. You fall on your face before God. And, of course, nobody's going to do that because somebody might get a broken nose and sue the church. So you mean um, we better watch out for some of these crusades where they'll have a guy running around and, and blowing on you, just hitting you with his coat jacket? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, folks, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad day, in fact, because many are chasing after emotional experiences they go in and then they have to have a demonic spirit cast out of them because they didn't get filled with the true Holy Spirit. They had a um, another spirit come in. You know, right? Because people forget that Satan has an anointing. In Ezekiel twenty-eight, he is called the anointed cherub that covereth. So when people are running around, oh, I got to get the anointing. I've got to get the anointing. You got to be sure it's the right anointing. That it's not the anointing from Satan. Because, unfortunately, some of these big-time, big-time preachers, uh, TV preachers, whatever, are actually serving Satan, whether they know it consciously or not. Amen. That's true. Now, talk about transference of spirits. The Word says, don't let any man suddenly lay hands on you. Um, Yes. Can you have a demonic spirit imparted by maybe you're going up for an altar call to pray, and someone you don't know comes over and says, I want to pray for you, and they put hands on you, and they maybe turn out to be a witch. Yeah, that is a very real danger. That's why I, we, in our book, Blood on the Door Points, we advise people, you know, unless you know the person, like if it's your pastor 
or if it's an elder. I mean, you you, you hopefully assume that they're straight shooters spiritually. But, I mean, you know, a lot of these modern charismatic churches all have, okay, everybody just run around and lay hands on everybody and pray for them. And it's like, oh, my gosh, don't do that. Because it's like demon, demon, who's got the demon? I mean, I've literally sat there in churches like that because I was going to speak, and they're doing this stuff, and I'm sitting there watching demons going boing, 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 from one person to another like crazy. I mean, it was like a contagion. And, oh, and the people don't understand what they're doing, and they go home and they say, I feel really weird. You know, well, yeah, because you picked up 50 demons. Amen. It's called the magic. It's not right. scriptural. Amen. And that's what people got to do. Like, you know, is gold dust scriptural? Are feathers no. falling from the sky scriptural? Because let me, let me break it to you, folks. No angel in the entire Bible has feathers or wings. That's a Catholic thing. That's a, you know, like a Valentine's Day card thing. Yeah, cherubs have wings. The seraphim have wings. But those kind of beings never come down here. I mean, they're like way up surrounding the throne of God. All they do is like fly around him day and night and cry, holy, holy, holy. You aren't ever going to see a seraphim down here on earth. Or if you do, you'd better run for the hills. Wow. The last time the seraphim walked the earth was when God sent a plague of fiery serpents against the Israelites because they were being idolaters. God have mercy. Uh, and that time's coming again, folks. Um, Bill, I want to ask you a question. What is your take on um, demons? Are they fallen angels, or are they the offspring of the the fallen angels and the women from Genesis 6, the, the Nephilim? What do you take? Well, they're not on? fallen angels. That's for sure. Because, you know, nowhere in the Bible do you ever see someone be possessed by a fallen angel. Okay. They're possessed by devils or demons, depending on, you know, like the King James says, devils. Uh, so that's the number one thing. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I've seen fallen angels, and they don't look anything like demons. Demons are basically little mosquito-like things. A fallen angel is a full-grown guy. I mean, it's, it's a, and that's why they can't possess us, because you can't have somebody who has a body, soul, and a spirit come and take over another person who has a body, soul, and a spirit. I mean, something's got to give, you know what I'm saying? So the question then becomes, where do the demons come from? Well, my theory, and there there's several, which is kind of, I think, what you said, is that the demons are the result of the, of the Nephilim who were killed after the flood, and they were all drowned, but their spirits, because they were half fallen angel and half human yes. survived in a special way that a normal human spirit would not survive. And that those spirits became the demons. There are, however, other theories out there. I, I would tend to go with you on that because, uh, you know, they were half uh, man, so they would have had to have had a, a soul and a spirit. Half angel, uh, God's not going to let them into heaven. And, uh, no. you know, he, he wiped them out in the flood, but hey, they're roaming the earth right now, and they're disembodied. They want to get back into a, a home. Oh, yeah, now, more than anything. Because they're such sensual beings. They want to be able to eat. They want to be able to get drunk. They want to be able to have sex. And, of course, yep. if they're in a spirit form, they can do none of those things. So that's why they're, they're so eager to find somebody to take over. No doubt about it. Uh, I even have a theory, and I can't prove it, but we have come across animal spirits. When they'll manifest in people during deliverance, they'll take on, you know, the, the forms of animals, characteristics, and so forth. And uh, 
you know, you hear about the chimera. Uh, yeah. Enoch talked about uh, these Nephilim were so wicked, they were cannibalistic, they were eating everything in sight, and they were even mating with animals. My thinking is, when God wiped all this stuff out in the flood, before Noah could get uh, contaminated, him and his bloodline, then what happened is, you even got some of these animal spirits out there that are basically half animal, you know, half demon. Well, yeah. And see, uh, that's where you get the whole werewolf phenomenon. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there's certain, like, a werewolf is typically, I mean, there are exceptions to this, but they're typically a very high-level Satanist who has been selected by the Brotherhood to become either a bodyguard or an assassin. And they are in few, there, there's this god-awful ritual they have to do, which I won't even go into, but it's horrible to go through this. And then they are infused with a demonic spirit that's half-wolf. And then wow. they are able to transform at will into this giant wolf-like being. Did you, is, ever, did you ever see any of those or actual um, vampires? Well, my wife did. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. The sucker was like eight feet tall and uh, walked around on two legs, big snout, you know, red eyes. Awful looking thing. Now but is it, it could not cross the blood of Jesus. Amen for that. Could not cross I mean this thing this thing looks like it could tear apart a mountain lion like someone snapping a wishbone. Good it was great. that big. But yet it could not because she and her sister were in this home praying and pleading the blood and doing spiritual warfare, that thing stomped around outside for like an hour and it was so big its footprint shook the earth. But finally it just stalked off because it couldn't get in. Now let me ask you a question. Are the hardcore uh, Satanists and witches and warlocks are doing the black magic, uh, they actually have an agenda to take down Christianity. Are they, are they organized from the sense that they're nightly getting together and they're praying and sending curses and demons against churches and pastors and Christians? Some of them are, yes, some of them are. In fact, I used to spend three hours every morning doing that. I would. I had to go to work, and I would get up literally at five o'clock every morning, and for two and a half to three hours, I would send these decrees out against Christian churches. Now think of that. How many Christians get up every morning at five o'clock in the morning and spend three hours in prayer before they go to work? Not many. Not many even read the Bible once a day. But the Muslims pray three to six times a day. We hear the witches are praying at. 6 p.m. every night against the pastors across yeah. the land. And, you know, if these stories are think true, this, I don't think know. Think of what Dr. Walter Martin said. Not if your listeners know who he was, but he was like one of the leading cult apologists of the last century. He wrote the book, The Kingdom of the Cults. And he asked a very important question. He said, why aren't Christians willing to do the things for the truth that cultists do for a lie? Wow, that's so true. Yeah, Bill, well, when, it's more true. When these um, okay, when these witches and warlocks go to attack uh, believers, they actually summon up demons through their um, invocations, and they send these things to attack. Um, what is meant by the term astral projection? We have a lot of people that call in, and uh, they're being attacked at night. Uh, they find themselves being even being raped, uh, yeah. frozen. What, what's going on here? Well, 
I mean, that brings up two other subjects that are a little bit controversial, but some of that comes in the realm of alien abduction. Some yeah. of that comes in the realm of astral projection. And some of that comes out of the realm of the incubus and the succubus. Let's go into and, that. Uh, and those, those are areas. sexual spirits. An incubus is a male spirit that will come and attack women sexually okay. in their sleep. An inc- a succubus, pardon me, is a female appearing spirit because they really don't have gender, of course. And they will come and they will seduce a man in his sleep and try to steal his seminal fluid. Okay. And then, of course, you've got the, the an astral projection is when a, a high-level occultist, and I used to do this, um, they leave their body, and you might as well say their soul goes out of their body. In fact, there's one group called Ekankar that actually calls it soul travel. And you travel and you go, and you can go through walls, you can go through and, and go into other people's private homes and stuff like that, and spy on them, and then if you're really, really powerful, you can even influence things. You can touch things. You can touch them. Uh, oh, I don't think I've never heard of a guy or a woman powerful enough in their astral form to actually rape somebody, but it's possible. Now, were they attached to the silver cord, and that's how they're connected back to their body and stay alive? Right. That's they. They get that idea from Ecclesiastes, where it talks about the. The silver cord is broken or the golden bowl is shattered, and they say that's a, a metaphor for death, that when the silver cord is finally broken, the astral body slash soul just floats away and goes up to God. We've heard of reports of uh, this going on, and what would happen is uh, sometimes a silver cord would get cut and a naked body would fall out right onto the ground. Yeah, and uh, never heard that one, but it's possible. See, the point is, and this is what your listeners may need to understand, this stuff all sounds kind of bizarre, but if you have prayed over your home, if you have prayed over your land and asked the Lord to remit the sin of the shedding of innocent blood over the land upon which you live, doesn't matter if you own it or not, even if you're living in an apartment, still, it still applies. If you've cleaned out your house and consecrated it to the Lord Yeshua, then, you know, it's going to be very difficult for an evildoer to actually project into your house. Because when I go to bed every night, I ask for angels to be all around the house that I'm living in. Even if I'm staying in a hotel room, I always, when I go to, and I'm in hotels a lot because I travel a lot in ministry. And I'll always, because you don't know what's going on in hotel rooms, amen? That's right. And I always pray, ask the Lord to remit the sins of any of any cursing, any blasphemies, any fornicating or homosexuality that may have taken place in this hotel room. I consecrate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare that the rod of the wicked will not stand over the territory of the righteous, that the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands to wickedness. And then I ask for angels to be all around that room or that home. And I have never seen anybody be able to actually project through that. Because let me tell you, angels are big and they're powerful, and they'll put the fear of God in any any clod witch that tries to actually project past them. Amen to that. Now, what do you do uh, for protection against uh, a demon, which is summoned and sent by a witch or warlock to, to attack you? What would you do for your self-defense? Well, the same thing I just mentioned. I don't think it's any different. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you another true story. We, When I was a Satanist, 
me and this guy who you alluded to earlier, who was this very high level, he was like high priest, Ipsissimus, king of the morning star was his title. And he was one of the most powerful Satanists in the whole country. And he and I were paid $200 each to curse this guy's wife and kill her. It was his ex-wife, I'm sorry. And, um, and he wanted custody of the children, and currently she had custody. So he figured if we caused her to drop dead, then he'd get the children. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we started throwing curses at this woman. And nothing worked. We we kept escalating the battle. You know, we'd use more and more powerful spells, more and more powerful curses, and all of them would bounce back and they'd hit us. Wow. And we were getting worse and worse and worse, and she wasn't even being hurt. And we found out later that the young woman was a born-again Christian. Amen. And so if you are prayed up and, and wearing your armor and walking in accordance with the, with the Bible and, and the Lord Jesus, you know, those kind of curses and demons are not going to be able to get through very well. Every now and then, something might be allowed to get through by, you know, kind of like a whole Job thing where sometimes for reasons that we don't really understand, the Lord allows good people to to get hit with bad things. Uh, but, But that's the exception, obviously. Now, how does a, uh, how does a demon get into a person? Uh, what does it have to come in through a legal right? What are some of the gateways that, in your experience you've found that uh, well, people the main are one, of course, is ancestral stuff. Like if you have ancestors, you know, your parents or grandparents who were in cults or the occult, or who even like were committing adultery or homosexuality or something, that's a huge doorway. And of course, if you yourself, we have in our book, we talk about doorway opening sins, things like you know adultery, homosexuality practicing the magic or the occult, uh, cursing your parents, uh, things of that nature. And, I mean, I, that's obviously not an exhaustive list. But any kind of – and, you know, there's, there's some things people don't like. For example, if you curse or attack the Jewish people, that opens the door right to you for demonic attack. Yes. If you curse your parents, that opens the door right to you for demonic attack. If you move your neighbor's landmarks, that opens up a doorway for demonic attack. And by that I mean, like, if you see, think about this. When we came over here to America, when I say we, I mean Europeans. Yes. We came here, and we, originally, we beat the Indians more or less fair and square. But then we made treaties with them. And then we broke the treaties. That's right. And we broke it like 320-some treaties. And see, whenever you, if you break a treaty, that's moving your neighbor's landmark. And that brings a curse upon the land. And I have been involved in a project called Route 52, where state by state, and I was participating in the one for Iowa, because that's where I live, where people are repenting state by state for two major sins. Pardon me, three. Sin number one is abortion. The abortions that are being done in very in every state of the union, as far as I know, sin number two, the broken covenants and the way we treated the native peoples in this country, and sin number three is the fact that we have broken covenants with Israel and anti-Semitism, and that is a powerful thing to come against and repent of those things on a statewide basis. Amen to that, folks. Um... 
better not so to there, make I mean, there are a lot of things it. that people don't realize that can cause um, open doorways for demonic attack. Yeah. You know, the pornography, uh, gambling, um, any kind of addictive behavior, obviously drinking, because if you, if you get drunk, you open up your mind, your will, and your emotions to demonic infestation. Now, when, like that. Once, once someone gets uh, a demonic spirit inside of them, maybe they've gotten it through Internet porn. Uh, yeah. Maybe they have uh, fornicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they going to get that uh, demonic spirit out of them? Well, basically, we recommend. I mean, we have a fourfold process we lead people through. Where we, we. Uh, I mean, assuming they've already done step one, which maybe they have, maybe they haven't. They need to pray against generational curses, stuff from their ancestors. And then, if they've okay, let's say they've you know done the internet porn thing. They need to go get on their knees and repent. And ask the Lord to forgive them for doing that stuff. If they need it, they should get you know that kind of software you can buy where you you give your wife the password or something. I say your wife because most of the people who get involved in that porn are guys. Sure. And that way, she only can get on the internet, and she can control what you can do if you don't have the self control to do it yourself. And and anyhow, you need to repent of that stuff and ask the Lord to give you the strength to forsake it completely. And then part two is you need to say, you know, something like, Lord uh, Lord God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, whatever you want to do, uh, I command any evil spirits that may have come into me because of my, well, involvement in Internet pornography, for example. I, I sever you from Satan any power above you. I remove your right to afflict me and my family, and I proclaim your judgment. I weaken you with the blood of Calvary, and I command you to go where the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to go right now by the voice of your Holy Spirit. And then I tell people to say, Lord God, I ask you to shut any doorways that may have been opened in my life by these sins, and I ask you to seal those doorways right now and forever with the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. I like that answer. Of course, I knew the answer, folks, as you know. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. But uh, there are people out here that uh, do not. And, folks, you, you can be set free. Deliverance is a children's bread. Um, you don't cast a demon out of a person who's not a Christian because what's going to happen, they're just going to go out, did the demon, and come back with seven more more wicked. Yes. And there's nothing to fill it. You've got to be right, right. willing to fill with the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, we pull no punches I'll tell you on one other show. thing. Uh, and I'm sure you know this, that some of your listeners might not. A huge open doorway is fornication. That's where I when wanted you, to go. When you go out and you have sex with a person to whom you're not married, yes, you basically now you're not just opening up yourself to sexually transmitted diseases. You're going to get every demon that person has. There you go. They're going to just pour into you through the genitalia, and before you know it you're going to be a walking supermarket of demons because you wow. have an ungodly link now between that man or that woman. Ungodly and that woman or that, that right? man is going to go off, and because they're probably a fornicator, they're going to go off and have sex with another person, and then you're going to get all the demons from the third person and the fourth person, and so on and so on and so on. And people wonder, oh, my gosh, you know, like we had this one poor fellow who was just struggling. He was a good Christian, but when he'd been in the military and in the Navy, He'd gone and had sex with a prostitute because, you know, a lot of guys in the military do that, unfortunately. Yes. And and he was just totally being bedeviled. And I said, do you realize how many thousands of, of people that woman has probably had sex with since you had sex with her? 
Wow. And he just like yes. probably freaked out. And I just, it's a simple prayer. It takes just two or three minutes to say it. You know, break the ties, cleanse it with the, with the word, the sword of the spirit, you know. And he said he felt such relief at that point because it was like this enormous pile of demons just slid off him and down into the pit of hell because they know that they had no more legal ground to be there. So you can have sexually transmitted disease, but STDs are also sexually transmitted demons. Yeah, <laughs> the condoms do not keep them out. <laughs> no. Uh, so you can get this ungodly soul tie. It has to be cut, or it's like an umbilical cord, and those demons just come straight up. Right. It's like you've got a fire hose plugged into your soul from the other person and just pouring evil, vile, demonic stuff is pouring into you until you break that. And here's the sad part. If you're a guy who's married, it's pouring into your wife and into your wow. kids until you cut that tie. Wow. Uh, if someone has been with multiple partners, maybe they uh, were pretty prolific uh, in their fornication, and they can't yeah. even remember all the partners. What would they do to cut the soul tie if they can't remember? Well, the we name? we don't we we in our in our teaching we don't necessarily think you have to name names. We just say, you know, Lord God, I ask you to cut any ungodly soul tie with anybody with whom I've had ungodly sexual contact, known or unknown, or remembered or forgotten. Because you know, obviously, some people get drunk or they get really wasted, and they don't even know who they've had sex with. And of course, you know. People who have been uh, molested as children may not even know with whom they've been raped. And unfortunately, the same thing is true of, of, a, of an involuntary sexual act, uh, an act of rape or, or child sexual abuse, just as much as it is true of, of a, uh, a voluntary sexual sin. We're having a lot of people, Bill, call in that are being uh, attacked at night, like around 3 a.m. One uh, person called in and... <laughs> They had their house open. They were trying to sell it. Some Mormons came in, and the story went that uh, after they left, uh, they got attacked that night, no doubt because the demons jumped off onto them, and they sure. felt they were molested. Um, and what do you do in a case like that? If you're, you're there laying alone well, in bed, you become paralyzed. What's going on? Well, first of all, you reconsecrate your house. Uh, another true story, very similar to what you just said. Uh, Ed Decker was trying to sell uh, the property that Saints Alive was on, this anti, I call it an anti-Mormon ministry, for lack of a better word. And we had these people come who were Hare Krishnas that wanted to buy it. And so here these two guys show up, you know, the bald heads, the orange robes, the whole bit, you know. And as soon as they walked into the house, they started throwing up. They couldn't stand to be in there because of the power of God. They just, they literally crawled out of there on their hands and knees and drove away. So if you've really prayed over your house, I mean, this might cut down the number of people that are going to buy your property, but, you know, evildoers will not be able to get in there. Even What's even like someone like a Mormon who probably is, is not, you know, evil, except in the sense that they're lost, but but they're still, you know, they still have an unclean spirit. And those spirits would not be able to cross your threshold. Why is uh, a lot of this activity happening at around 3 a.m. in the morning? Is there something special about 3 a.m. or 4 a.m.? Yeah. It is believed in the occult that that is the time when the powers of darkness are greater. Because it's when, it's when almost everybody is asleep. And therefore, the, 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 the chatter, if you will, on the astral plane is at its lowest. 
and everybody is at their their deepest level of sleep because most people, you know, they go to bed at 11 or 12 or whatever, and so by the time 3 o'clock rolls around, they're really, really sleeping. And so they're most vulnerable to psychic attack at that time. I don't know how many people have called me and said, I get waking up every night at 3 Three out, three o'clock, three thirty-three every morning. Oh, wait a minute! Thirty-three every morning. Why is that? What is because that is the time that the typical witch or satanist will try and attack you. It's three thirty-three because three thirty-three adds up to nine. Okay, In let me ask you something. Bill. Nine is the ultimate satanic number. I keep seeing this number sequence. I'm seeing three 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 nine one one and eleven eleven, and it became uncanny. I would see it in the morning. At night, because I do a lot of these late night shows, uh, could that be God speaking to me? Is that a warning? What is this three 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 I might be seeing? Well, like I said, three 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 adds up to nine. Okay. And nine is the most sacred number in Satanism. So okay. typically, I would say that's probably not a good thing. Uh, let's see, nine nine one one. That would add up to eleven, which adds up to two. That's the devil's number as well. And of course, what was the other one? Eleven, uh, eleven. Well, that one is not. I don't think that one necessarily would be that bad because that's the number four. That would reduce to four, uh, which really is not very sinister. But uh, the other two, I would say, would probably be warnings. Okay, so if you were to, um, if you were to wake up and look at the clock and it said three thirty-three, uh, what would be your advice? Someone needs to pray. There may be an alert that there's an yeah, attack coming. Yeah, just just. just Pray out loud, you know, because, again, the demons can't read your mind, and say, Lord, please protect me. Uh, Lord Jesus, I ask you that you would remove any evil spirits that might try to come against me, either in my dreams or in my waking life right now. I ask you to put a legion of angels around me with their yeah. swords drawn. Let those swords be on fire, Father. And, uh, and you know, basically just throw up a, a cordon of defense around your, you and your home. Okay, uh, you mentioned that uh, these fallen angels, these demons, uh, will try to abuse people at night and steal their sperm. Now, a lot of men out there have had wet dreams, uh, very erotic yeah. dreams. What's going sure. on? Are they being are they being raped well, by a demon in their sleep? Some of those are just nocturnal dreams. You know, I mean, they're just they're just the, the male body's natural way of of throwing off excess seminal fluid. Right. But some of them are. You know, I think being you're being basically raped by a a a succubus. Yeah. Okay. What are, do they actually steal the sperm? Yeah, because what they do is see this is <laughs> God. This is how it goes. They they will take this. You know, they will assume the form of a beautiful woman. All right. And they know because they 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 have observed you exactly what kind of woman you like what's your dream girl you know and so they'll assume that that appearance and invade your dream life and you know you'll have a nocturnal emission and they'll take that semen and they'll astrally go and they will turn into a male figure and they will find a sleeping woman and they will come into her and they will have done some creepy alchemy to the reproductive fluid. And then they will inject it into her as she has a sexual dream. And then she will become pregnant with a moon child. Wow. Or a demon seed child. Okay. Which is, which is like got 
something wrong with its DNA. This isn't quite the same as being raped by a fallen angel, but it's it's almost as bad. How would you know if uh, if you've encountered a moon child? What would be the characteristics to look for? That's very hard to say. I've I've met two or three of them. Most of them look a little unearthly. <laughs> well, now, you know, and by that I mean like I had this one young lady I met who her eyes were like the eyes of a goat. Wow. You ever look at the eyes of a goat? No, sure. They have kidney-shaped eyeballs. Okay. You know, like a cat's eyes are like a slit, and our eyes are, of course, round. Yes. Well, their eye, the goat's eyes are shaped like a kidney bean. You know, she was her eyes were so bizarre, she had to wear dark glasses every time she left her house. Good grief. Wow. She was a saved individual. I, I met another person, another woman, who um, had absolutely no eyebrows and no eyelashes. Now, eyebrows, yeah, you can shave those off like Wolfie Goldberg, you know. Right. But she had no eyelashes and made her eyes look vaguely serpentine. Good grief. I mean, she kind of looked like Voldemort in the, in the Harry Potter movies. So you never know what you're going to get. Now, I know the word says that as, uh, if you let the sun go down on your wrath, Satan will come and, you know, sow tears as you sleep. Uh, yeah. Is it basically uh, you don't forgive, you go to sleep, and you're going to have demons put in you as you go to sleep that night? That's possible, yes, because the unforgiveness is a huge issue. Yes. And, and, and being judgmental is also a huge issue among Christians. You know, I mean, uh, we're not to do that. Jesus is the judge. And even he says, I, I don't judge, the Father judges. And and we can't not forgive people who have hurt us. And yeah. I've prayed, I mean, you know, I, I'm kind of semi-retired from doing deliverance now since my wife passed away because she was sort of my right-hand gal, you know, in terms of doing deliverance. But, yes. you know, we prayed for like 2,500 people to be set free from demons. And wow. I bet over half of them had bitterness and unforgiveness in their hearts, either to a parent or somebody else, and I told him, hey, until you can verbalize it, I forgive you. Yes. You know, and mean it sincerely. You're never going to set, get set free of this thing. Because that's the word of God. Like it says in the Bible, I mean, in Yeshua's parable, he says, you know, that if you don't forgive, God will turn you over to the hidden tormentors. That's right. And they will torment you until you're finally willing to forgive this individual what they've hurt you. And folks, if you uh, if you let forgiveness fester for too long, get bitterness, unforgiveness, these foul spirits come in. A lot of times, they bring diseases, arthritis, and cancer. In oh many yes, cases, amen to that. That's a huge issue because you know it says you know the the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh, and that's what happens. If you don't forgive, you are a blank fool, and you know your your body is going to start devouring itself. Well, what do you do? I mean, a lot of people have just been hurt. I mean, and, and honestly, you know, they maybe they were innocent in it, but uh, is yeah. forgiveness a, is it a... It's a commandment. It's not other an words, option. In other words, uh, maybe they don't, they're still angry in their heart. Do they have to ask God to remove that first, or can they verbalize and say, I forgive them, and I ask God you bless them? And, uh, well, I tell people this. I don't believe, and I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books on forgiveness over the years by Christians, and I don't think you have to feel all warm and fuzzy toward this person. Okay. But you do have to be able to say sincerely, 
you know, I forgive them for the sake of Jesus Christ. Okay. And mean it. And then you can ask the Lord to take away your bitterness. And you can say, Lord, I give you this bitterness. Please take it from me. And instead, fill me with the spirit of forgiveness. And the funny thing is, I heard one old Pentecostal preacher say something very wise. He says, the best thing you can do for someone who's really hurt you is to really start interceding for that person. And not like, oh, Lord, pour boiling oil down their throat. Oh, Lord, kill them. No, I don't mean that kind of intercession. <laughs> I mean, you know, pray for them. Yes. Because if you can pray for someone, you'll start to feel softness in your heart toward that individual. Amen to that. I mean, I've even had women come to me for ministry who were raped as little girls, and it was like their uncle or something, and, and they just can't even stand to be in the same room with a guy. And I said, hey, I can relate to that. You know, don't you don't have to be in the same room with him, but you do have to forgive him. And pray for that guy, because he obviously needs the Lord. Amen. And this woman told me, I started praying for my uncle, and within a few weeks, you know, I really started to feel the love of Christ for him. And, I mean, she didn't obviously go and spend the weekend with the guy, you know, because that wouldn't be prudent. But, right. you know, at least she felt forgiveness for him on every level. Amen to that. Uh, and, folks, if you have a question tonight, um, pass it on. Here's a question. Uh, can you get a demonic spirit through masturbation? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, twenty punches on this show. <laughs> no, that's fine. In fact, I'll, you know, I don't know if you know this, but now this is just like something that the the old rabbis taught way back in the days of Jesus. But they claimed that every time a man abused himself, when the semen came out, thousands of demons were born at that moment. That's one of the other theories of where demons come from. So I don't believe that. Because I, I think today we have a more sophisticated understanding of, of the fact that, that the seminal fluid is not a complete baby. It's just part of the baby, and if the woman has the egg, the guys back in those days didn't know that. So my point is, I think, you know, yeah, it can be an open doorway. Because evil spirits love the energy that comes off of sex. They love it, and they're drawn to it. But see, if you enjoy marital relations with your wife, that it's like grounding the energy, so to speak. It's like taking the lightning bolt of sex and running it into the earth the way God intended. Yes. And the demons can't be attracted to that because that's, like it says in Hebrews, the marriage bed is undefiled. Amen. But if you're masturbating, you're sending out all sorts of powerful sexual energy. And that can very easily draw demons. So I really much, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, you're going to go blind or you're going to grow hair on the palm of your hands or something. But I do think it's a dangerous practice because it can become compulsive and addictive and it can ruin your marriage. Well, as one guy said, uh, he said, you know, you have to usually conjure up uh, the thought of some beautiful woman. And really what you may be doing is uh, you're building a soul tie. You're building a succubus. A succubus, right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I, I believe so. Um, because have most a... men, I think when they do that, they either look at pornography, and of course I've never done this, naturally, <laughs> but, you know, or else they, they have an image, like you say, in their mind. 
And that could become an idolatrous thing. Yes. You want to be really careful with that. Amen to that. Uh, a lot of people talking about orgone machines. Uh, is that a gateway for demonic spirits? I do not think so, and I maybe will get flamed for this, but I believe that is actually a, a valid, legitimate technology that, that just the typical scientist does not understand. Because uh, we got exposed to that, oh, maybe five or six years ago when we were we were seeking ways to keep um, UFOs from attacking us. Because the funny thing is that sometimes the UFO thing isn't amenable to prayers. And we started using some of these orgone-based things you see on the Internet, like the holy hand grenades, and they really work. And, and they actually cause UFOs to crash. Uh, what is so your experience the UFO regarding people? And of course, if you've read my book, Space Invaders, you, you, all your listeners are probably freaking out right now. But no, they're not really UFO people; they're fallen angels. Amen. But they do have craft, and I explain all that in my book, Space Invaders, and in several of my DVDs as well. But um, so I actually think it is a legitimate way of harnessing the God-given electromagnetic energy that's in the Earth and actually use it to defend yourself. And to heal yourself. For those just turning in, we've got Bill Schnebelin on tonight. Bill, uh, go ahead and give out your contact information and your web address, please. Sure, yes. Uh, you can reach me at uh, withoneaccord.org. That's W-I-T-H-O-N-E-A-C-C-O-R-D.org. And my email is schneblin at gmail.com. And that's uh, S, N as in Nancy, E, B as in boy, L, E, M as in Nancy, at gmail.com. Now, Bill, uh, you've written a number of books. How many in total so far? Well, I've written countless little books. I'm working on my eighth major book. We've got uh, uh, Mormonism's Temple of Doom, Whited Sepulchers, Wicca, Satan's Little White Lie, uh, Lucifer Dethroned, Masonry Beyond the Light, and Blood on the Doorpost, and Space Invaders. Now, you're working on a new one. Uh, what's that title right. going to be? Well, the working title is Romancing Death. Wow. And it's all about the twilight phenomenon and why it is not a good idea for Christians to bring those books into the church and to encourage their young people to read them. Because, see, a lot of Christians are promoting the twilight books because those books promote um, chastity before marriage, and they are pro-life in the sense that the that this girl in the fourth book has sex with her husband, the vampire, who's actually a 100-year-old guy that looks like he's 18, and they, they get a baby, and the baby is going to be a monster, like half vampire, half human baby. And everybody else wants her to abort the baby because they think it's going to kill her, and she refused to do it. And so, of wow. course, all the pro-life Christians think that's wonderful. But there is so much evil in these books. And that's what this book is about. It's basically warning Christians about the dangers of entertainment, of, of the kind of stuff you let into your mind, into the minds of your young people. Uh, and it's hopefully going to be out this spring from Destiny Image. And, Bill, you know, that's not the only thing that they're bringing into churches. You know, they've got uh, yoga classes, martial arts in the sanctuaries. Uh -huh. um, yoga, that'll bring a demon in pretty quick, won't it? Yeah, Harry Potter. Same thing with the young people. Uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff they're teaching nowadays. How about uh, the martial arts? Uh, you get into this, uh, you know, the, these chi meridians. Right. Uh, 
Uh, that that well, brings up actually another Okay, point. let me say this about that. Geez, I sound like Kennedy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, with the martial arts, and especially, you see, I do believe, because I've, I've studied this very thoroughly, I do believe acupuncture is actually a scientific thing. It is not demonic. They're, they have actually now, with more advanced technology here in the West, been able to actually track the meridians, what the what the Chinese call acupuncture meridians. They're just a more subtle form of the human nervous system. But having said that, you got to watch out when you get into especially internal martial arts, like, you know, Bakwa and Kung Fu and Sing Yi and Tai Chi Chuan, because in those things you're trying to manipulate Qi, and you're moving into a spiritual realm. And and some Christians will say, well, Qi is just like the Holy Spirit. Well, no, it isn't, because the Holy Spirit is transcendental. The Holy Spirit is God. Yes. You can't manipulate the Holy Spirit by doing Tai Chi. I'm sorry. Amen. So that kind of stuff, I really say, is kind of dangerous. But when you go on something like you know Taekwondo, which is basically a very hard kind of martial art that really involves very little energy stuff it's more or less about kicks and locks and how to use your hips and stuff i don't think that's quite as damaging but man when you get into these internal martial arts yeah be very very careful i don't think christians should be involved in it amen what do you think about uh, a lot of people promoting uh, magnetic energy these magnetic bracelets and uh, shoe pads and mattresses is that actually uh, harnessing some of that cheap power well no 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 I mean, again, you're you're apples and oranges. Now, I don't know if you know this. I'm a naturopathic doctor in addition to all my other things. No. Yeah, yeah. And and so I believe in using herbs. I believe in using vitamins. I'd rather do that than go to a doctor and get a a pharmacopeia-type drug. Amen to that. Yes. So, having said that, the Earth's magnetic field is much weaker now than it was. And I do believe the right kind of magnetic therapy can be very helpful to a human person. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's electromagnetism. Our bodies are magnetic beings. The earth is a giant magnet. But just like any other magnet, over the centuries, it's lost some of its oomph. And the other problem that we have is the fact that um, that we have all of this electric smog you know, we've got we've got microwaves, we've got cell phone oh, yes. signals, we've got television and radio signals, stuff that our ancestors never even dreamed of. They're flying I mean, they're filling this room that I'm in right now. They're filling the room you're in. And that stuff is damaging to you. Man, and no doubt about when it, you connect to the, I'll tell you I'll tell you a little secret. And this is hard for us to do in this part of the world right now. But the best thing you can do for your health is to go outside and stand on God's good green earth with your bare feet and earth yourself because that will put you in touch with the earth's electromagnetic field, and that's amazingly healing to the human body. I have seen people heal themselves of arthritis, of rheumatism, of all sorts of inflammatory diseases just by walking around barefoot or by getting something that they can you know, plug into their grounding thing of their of their wall outlet inside their home and either sleep on it or put their feet on it while they sit and, you know, read or whatever. Amazing. Uh, that's yeah, amazing. it's quite yeah. astounding. 
you know, uh, this one guy that I, I, I study under who's a health expert, he says probably the world's greatest weapon of mass destruction is the rubber-soled shoe. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, that's why if you're working around uh, high power lines, you want to have rubber, right? Well, exactly. Now, that's a different story, of course. But, I mean, sure. I'm just talking about the normal person who, who spends their whole day in an office or yes. in a car where they're surrounded. Because think of all the junk that's around you in a modern car. I mean, all these computery things in the car and your your iPod oh, yeah. and your cell phone and your radio and your Sirius and all this stuff, you know. And, my gosh, I mean, our bodies are being bombarded with this stuff, and it, it, it causes cancer. It causes inflammation. I mean, we're kind of off on a tangent here, but this is an important point. Do you know that one of the guys that invented the world's first cell phone for Ericsson over in, I think, Scandinavia, Sweden or somewhere, he now has to live in a copper suit 24 hours a day. Good golly, what's going on? Because he he was just around the radiation from cell phones so much his body started developing an allergic reaction to it. And he would literally walk down the streets of, like, you know, Sweden, and someone would answer their cell phone, and he'd faint. Oh, my goodness. And they actually had to make a suit out of copper. It looks kind of like a hazmat or a space suit out of copper screening. And he has to live in this suit, except when he got in his, in his house, he has all the walls of his house covered with copper fleck paint. And he never uses a cell phone, even though he's one of the two or three guys that helped invent them. Folks, this is not science fiction. Listen, uh, cell phones <laughs> will boil your cerebral cortex fluid. Motorola did a study, took them two years. They will not release it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, what's that tell you? Uh, listen, I, I won't. I won't touch it. I mean, I won't touch these Bluetooths. I had one, and it, gave, it caused me to have total head congestion. I. I unfortunately still use a cell phone. I try to eliminate the amount of time I'm on it. Uh, I try to go back to a pager. They don't even make pagers hardly anymore, you know? <laughs> At least they're receiving it. Isn't that the truth? You know, uh, one other interesting little fact is that you go, the, the, the county, now this is true a couple of years ago, it may not be true anymore. The county with the most cell phone towers in America is Marin County out in California, you know? Really? And, um, they had a 900% increase in breast cancer oh in just goodness. five years since they put on those cell towers. Folks, it and, causes brain cancer. There's no question yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, People are getting tumors the size cancer. of grapefruits on their, on their brains on the side of their head that they just happen to use their cell phone on. So this is something I, I too, have a phone, but I try to limit it. And if someone calls me on it, they say, call me back on a landline because I don't want to microwave my brain. And they do. Well, you know, everybody says, but, you know, Wi-Fi is safe. But uh, I even heard Wi-Fi will interrupt your um, your heart rhythms. That I mean, could was, be. I hadn't heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there was a guy that basically said, all this, uh, because all this having... technology, see, remember what Jesus said. He said, behold, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he travels over electricity. Think about that. Yes. And think about the fact that UFOs navigate on the electromagnetic field of the Earth. That's why those little orgone devices can disrupt them and make them crash. 
Is that how the guy down in uh, Florida was able to move all those gigantic um, stones weigh thousands of pounds? He was kind of tapping into the ley lines. I don't know what you're about there. I'm sorry. Um, very interesting. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, folks. Uh, we are being subjected to stuff that uh, God never intended us to be <laughs> exposed to. Now, have you ever run into a fallen, uh, excuse me, a demonic spirit called Boise? Or Boise? <laughs> um, no, I can't say that I have. It sounds like a city in Idaho. Yeah, there's a demon that uh, basically disrupts um, electronic transmission sometimes. Um, yeah, we have more in common than you, than you know. I'm actually an herbal formulator by trade, and so... Uh, oh, I good believe- for you. We'll have to talk offline about that because uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there, folks. Uh, you just have to be careful. Yeah. And uh, I would rather use a natural herb that God made than, of course, uh, a um, a drug that's going to probably open up your your mind uh, to demonic spirits like the psychotropic drugs are doing. But yeah. um, let me yeah, we should do a whole show on this. We're going to do hey, a whole man. show on that. I told Bill <laughs> we'll probably have to do like 50 programs just to tap the surface here. Um, how can a person do uh, self-deliverance, Bill? There's someone out there listening right now. They're a believer. They know that they've uh, opened up some demonic gateways. They're willing to repent. Can they right. Can they command those foul spirits out themselves, or do they need to be well, with the deliverance benefit? Well, it depends on the level of the severity of the problem. I mean, I heard an old preacher say that he gets up every morning, and when he's shaving, he looks himself in the mirror, and he just says, Satan, if you're in there, I command you to leave me right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, now that's kind of oversimplistic. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I tell people, you know, and in fact, if, uh, like, and this isn't my prayer. This is what I learned from Thomas White. But, you know, every day I say this over myself and over those that I love. And I say, I expose all enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ right now operating against me. I sever you from Satan any power above you. I remove your right to afflict me, and I proclaim your judgment. I weaken you with the blood of Calvary, and I command you to go where the Lord Jesus Christ tells you to go by the voice of his Holy Spirit. And and that kind of is pretty thorough. And, of course, as you said, if you've done something in the last day that, that needs repenting of, of a more serious nature, um, you need to do that first, because unless there's repentance, then you, you really don't have the authority to command the demon to leave. So yeah, you can you can on a minor sense, but I mean if you've got like like you know I don't think the state that I was in after I got born again, I don't think I could have done a self deliverance on myself because I just had too many demons. Now, do you always uh, let's say you're doing deliverance? Do you always bind the strong man first? Is that essential? Well, we do a whole we we see we never allow demons to manifest. We right up front we we say that we don't want it. We ask the Holy Spirit to prevent any manifestations that are not in His best and perfect will for the individual. And because of that, we've never had any vomiting or people slithering around on the floor, or bouncing off the ceiling, or anything like that. Uh, yeah, we bind the strong man, and and usually our deliverances, like for example, you look at my story, okay. Uh, sold my soul of devil, vampire, drank human blood, mason, blah, 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 all this wicked, evil stuff. And I sat down with my pastor and his wife, and he did, it took less than two hours. He and his wife did me and my wife and my sister-in-law all in one evening. We got gloriously set free by the power of the blood of the Lamb. And there was no shrieking, there was no puking, there was no nothing. It was very quiet, it was very soft. 
And it was from that guy that I learned how to do deliverance. He's now gone home to be with the Lord, but, you know, great man of God. So a person can be set free. Uh, they don't have to live in uh, torment. But, um, folks, you do need to be aware that um, if we open the door to Satan through sin, uh, he can come in. Uh, what about accursed objects in a person's house, Bill? What would be some stuff that if a person wanted to look through their house now and see if they have maybe a, a gateway through an accursed object, what would be some of the items that might uh, attract demons? Well, a big, biggie, big thing would be like Masonic bric-a-brac. Like if you have stuff like from an ancestor or a relative that's a mason, you know, like a fez or a pin or something like that, get rid of that. Uh, another common thing we see is is some foreign objects of art, like from Africa, from Asia, things like Buddhas and statues of Kuan Yin or African statues of of, of weird you know things because we've got to realize a lot of the most of, well obviously all of these foreign countries are are full of demons yes and 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 these artifacts are often things that have been loaded with demons before they're sold to people <clears throat> so that would be another example another thing I mean pornography draws demons um like for example, uh, you don't want to have like um, little occult things of any nature. You don't want to have a Book of Mormon around your house. You don't want to have, you know, fake Bibles around your house. You don't want to have uh, like something like Science and Health and Key to the Scriptures or, or cultic books. In other words, unless and this is the one difference, the one exception, if you're someone like me and you're a minister and you're doing research or you're using them to help win people to Christ, that's different. Then you can pray over them. Like down in my basement, I have a couple of books of Mormon, for example, but I prayed over them, and the Lord knows I have them for godly reasons, and that's a different matter. But that's not many people that are going to be under that kind of a category. When you were studying the uh, the occult, were you ever able to discover uh, any of the uh, the chain of command under Satan? I know that he has the principalities and powers, but were you able to identify any of the uh, the big fallen angels' names that a person could uh, maybe start doing some spiritual warfare against? I don't recommend that. <laughs> I do know the names, but I don't normally give them out because I, I honestly think, and, I, and I'm not saying this against you because you probably could do it, but so many Christians get on this, territorial warfare, cosmic-level warfare bandwagon, you know, and they go out and think they're going to kick some serious fallen angelic butt, pardon the expression, and they end up getting just squashed like a bug because we do not understand the level of warfare that that is going into. And, um, I mean, there there's several levels upon which that could be pursued, but I advise extreme caution. Is there, because I, I personally believe our authority over demons is absolute and clear. But I think our authority with fallen angels is a little more iffy. I prefer, if I think I'm being assaulted by a fallen angel, I'll just do the whole Zechariah thing and say, you know, Yahweh rebuke you. You know, get out of here. In the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I don't try and do it in my own authority as as a believer because I think... I think with fallen angels, you're you're dealing with a whole nutter ball of wax. 
Would you say there's uh, though kind of like a military chain of command that starts oh, with sure, and goes sure. all the way down? I mean, to the there's foot soldiers. There's dukes of. Ha- I mean, the funny thing is, like Satan has dukes under him, uh, princes under him. I mean, it's it's a whole thing. The the closest I can describe it is like the mafia, and Satan is the capo, the capo, the head of all the heads. You know, and then he has the dons under him, so to speak. Yeah, there's a hierarchy. And then, believe it or not, they're trying to kill each other off, just like in the mafia. Really? Because it's a constant struggle for power. Because that's the only currency in the kingdom of darkness, is dark power. Interesting. And yeah. so there's this constant infighting and feuding and bickering going back and forth. Because how could it be otherwise, you know? But yet, ultimately, Satan does call the shots. Except, of course, you know, if the Lord intervenes and then he just flicks him out of the way like a gnat, and then he chooses to call the shots. So I, I've watched an entire satanic hierarchy get just totally demolished in like one hour by wow. the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Uh, have you found any uh, warfare weapons embedded in the scriptures um, as you've studied the Word of God that you've been able to use against uh, demons or these fallen angels that were attacking you? Well, of course, in our book we talk about, I mean, most people know about the main components of the armor of God, but there's some components of the armor of God that most people don't know about that are in the book of Isaiah. There's wow. things like the garment of vengeance, the cloak of, cloak of zeal, the armor of light, the shield of salvation, and those are important too. And, uh, you know, as some of your listeners may know, I, I come at these things from a Hebraic perspective. And I'll tell you, some of the most powerful spiritual warfare weapons that are in the Bible are the shofar, which is the trumpet that is blown throughout the, the various feasts of the Lord. Because I'll tell you, when you blow that shofar, it, puts, it cracks the gates of hell wide open. Wow. I kid you not. Now I, uh, because, you know, there, there's an old story that goes no. around like this, because the shofar, heaven has a shofar, and when it blows is when the second coming is going to occur. And so whenever Satan hears a shofar, he ducks, because wow. he thinks Jesus is coming. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I heard a, a Messianic rabbi tell that story, and I had the privilege to be in a place where there were 300 people with shofars that knew how to play them. And they all they all did it in concert, you know, at the at the climax of a spiritual warfare prayer. And man, that was so powerful. I mean, you know, you could just hear the slats of hell get kicked right out of the wall. Man, um uh, I brought a shofar back from Israel when I was here in two thousand six and uh it still smells like uh when I bought it, I think it still got some meat in there. How do you clean those things out? Well, unfortunately, that's and especially if you blow on them, because then you're getting moisture into the horn. You do get a kind of unfortunate smell coming out of it. <laughs> but that's just you know that's just part of the blessing. You know what can I say? And um, you know, the, I mean, uh, so you know that I think is a very powerful thing that we have the, the, these friends of ours that live in Ohio, and they both play the shofar and they do deliverance. Wow. And they just sit the person down in a chair, and they each put a shofar at one ear. And these are the, because see, there's two kinds of shofarim. I don't know if you knew this or not. There's the no Yemenite shofar, which is the real long, curly one that's usually about two and a half, three feet long or more. Yes. And then there's the little one that's usually, it looks like a little comma, 
and it's about maybe a foot long. And the sh- the long one, the Yemenite shofar, that is for spiritual warfare. That is for shattering, you know, that's what brought down the walls of Jericho, okay? Wow. Yes, sir. The little one is to break hearts of unrepentant people. Because when you play the small shofar, it sounds exactly like a human being weeping. Wow. And there, there's there's certain tones that are sounded, and I, unfortunately, I can't get a note out of either one. And people tell me it's because I used to play the trombone in college, which really? is a very big mouthpiece. And of course, the shofar has a little tiny, like trumpet-sized mouthpiece. But my oh, wife yeah. used to be able to play them. But anyway, uh, when you play the little shofar, it causes repentance in hard-hearted people. Isn't that neat? Man, that's pretty neat. So. Um... If a person has a shofar or they want to get one, uh, could they actually blow it and maybe um, that would be sort of like break down the attack of the Really? Absolutely, yes. Please, God. Of course, you've got to do it in prayer. I mean, you can't, it's not like it's a magical thing, you know, where you, you know, you just, you've got to pray and say, Lord, I ask you to, you know, anoint me that I would pray and that I would, you know, blow this thing for your glory and to, to bring down the kingdoms of darkness and cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of you. Wow. And then go for it. Amen to By that. all means. Praise God. Um, yeah, I uh, I believe in that. Now, what, what did you find out with this garment? You said you found a garment over in Isaiah also? Well, yeah, there's the garment of vengeance. What do you do with the that? the cloak of zeal. Because people used to make jokes when I was a young Christian about how... Why didn't God give us something to cover our backside? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and the Ephesians six armor only covers the front, right? Right, and that's because you need the cloak of zeal and the armor of light and the garment of vengeance. Because a cloak obviously is like a cape; it covers your whole hind end. You know, and uh, you know the the funny thing is, is as a, as a Messianic Jew, for the past ten years or so, I have been wearing. Zitzit, you know what those are? Sure, the the, the things that kind the of little thing. tassel, tassel, right? And you wear this little poncho thing under your shirt, and it covers you front and back. And this is basically what people have been wearing since the, since the Second Temple period. I mean, Yeshua wore this. So when people say, "What would Yeshua do?" or "What would Jesus do?" I would say, "Well, he's wearing a talit, and it's like a little poncho thing you wear." And I believe. It is a manifestation of both the cloak of zeal and the breastplate of righteousness. And I'll wow. tell you, if I know I'm going into some heavy warfare, like if I'm going to do a deliverance or whatever, I make sure that I'm fully armored, both by prayer and by when it's not like it's a magical talisman, because it isn't. It's just a piece of cloth. But because the, the little tassels symbolize the 613 commandments of the Torah, it's like you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who's the only one who ever walked the earth that perfectly kept the Torah. And you're appropriating his righteousness, and you're coming against the devil clothed in his righteousness. And that's powerful, I'll tell you. And then people ask me, you know, like, well, why do you wear a little beanie? Are you Jewish? And I say, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I am Jewish, but that's not why I wear it. I wear it because it's a symbol of the blood atonement covering. The Hebrew word for that is it's called a kippur. 
which is means blood atonement covering. It's the same word that's used in Hebrew for the what we call the mercy seat that covers the Ark of the Covenant. So it also reminds me that I am under somebody else's authority, that I am a bond slave of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So that's why I wear a head covering. But additionally, it reminds me of the helmet of salvation and the fact that I know that I know that I know that I am saved and on my way to heaven. Yes. Amen. Uh, now, when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, what commandments was he talking about? Ah, that's a scary question. <laughs> well, think of it this way. When did he say that? That was in Matthew chapter 5, right? No, that was in John. But still, when he said that, the only commandments that were out there were the Old Testament, right? Right. Because nobody had written any of the New Testament at that time. That's right. So he was talking about the Torah. He was talking about the Sabbath. He was talking about don't eat dead pigs, things like that. And you might say, well, hey, preacher, you're getting legalistic. Well, no, I'm not getting legalistic because I don't believe I'm saved because I don't eat dead pigs. I believe I'm saved so I can be faithful to Christ and follow his commandments. So you're in agreement that uh, salvation comes through Jesus Christ Yeshua, but yeah. then uh, once you're saved, God expects you to go back and um, learn His commandments and laws. Well, yeah, just like just like James said in Acts 15, you know, you start out with the basics. You know, don't fornicate, don't eat things strangled, and don't drink blood, which basically is is the whole spiel of of morality and of kosher eating. And then the next verse says, and then go to the synagogue every week where Moses is preached every Sabbath, and you will hear the rest of the Torah. Now, of course, there's stuff that we can't do anymore because there's no temple, but we don't need to do it anymore because Yeshua is our sacrifice. But I, I, I think all of these people that run around and they say, oh, well, glory to God, we're not under the law, we're under grace. Well, yes, we're under grace. But yet those same people wouldn't turn around and say, oh, well, you know, let's go and commit adultery because we're under grace. Let's go murder people. Let's go worship false gods because, bless God, we're under grace. See, for some reason, they think that nine of the Ten Commandments are still in force, but none of the other Torah commandments are in force. And I don't get that. I don't understand how they, how they do that without breaking the Scriptures. And, of course, Yeshua said the Scriptures cannot be broken. Now, I know that uh, the, the sum of it all basically hangs on, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, I'm paraphrasing, and then love your neighbor sure, as yourself. and love your neighbor as yourself. But how do you, uh, how do you sort out the rest? Because, again, um, some stuff was only done by the, you know, the Levi priest, and some stuff was done sure. by sacrifice. So how do you personally um, try to live by the uh, commandments of God? Well, what you're talking about is halakha. That's the Hebrew word, halakha. It means the way you walk. And essentially, we have um, in our denomination, which is the Union of Nazarene Israelite Congregations, we have a group of rabbis that have come together and kind of tried as best as they can to figure out how this all works. And, and they've kind of, you know, functioned as a sort of informal body that, that it's not like they legislate stuff, but they figure, okay, you know, this is what you do, and this is what you don't need to, like, you know, for example, every every spring I count the Omer. 
I keep Passover with my family. Well, I don't have a family anymore, but I, I used to. And last year I had to go and do it with another family. But anyway, you know, and you count the Omer, and I'll tell you, that's a powerful spiritual warfare thing. If you've never encountered the Omer, really, uh, you go between the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost, and you count the Omer every day for those 49 days. And I'll tell you, by the end of that time, you have done some serious, serious demonic butt-kicking. Wow. That was uh, intended for the for the people of Israel, because as you probably know, leaven is a symbol of wickedness. Yes, sir. And so for the eight days of unleavened bread that follow Passover, you've gotten all the leaven out of your house. And that's a symbol of getting rid of all of the wickedness out of your life. Well, then, in the middle of that, you're also counting the Omer, which is right in the Bible. You know, and it just, all it means is every day you count, okay, today is like the first day of the first week of the Omer. Tomorrow is the second day of the first week, and so on. But every day you work on a different virtue that you want to cultivate in your spiritual walk. And and many people fast on and off throughout the counting of the Omer. I do a lot of fasting. I, I fast several days a week because I know that's a good way to build up your, your spiritual batteries. And, uh, you know, all these different things, you know, uh, and again, it's not because if, if I don't do it, God's going to smack me one, because I don't think, I don't believe that. But I do believe that by keeping these commandments, I am honoring him, and I'm becoming more like him. Because that's the point of all this, isn't it? The point of all this is to become more godlike, more like Christ. Now, we'll never succeed in that in this life, obviously. You know, I'm I'm a sinner I fall, I stumble just like everybody else does. But yet, I get great comfort out of the fact that I'm doing stuff that my ancestors did 4,000 years ago. Wow! And when I sit down at the Passover table every spring, I realize that, spiritually speaking, I'm present at the Passover, just like I'm present at Mount Sinai. Just like I'm when I do the Feast of Tabernacles or, or the the Feast of Trumpets or all these, there's such richness in this stuff. Oh yeah. And you want to talk about spiritual warfare? That's where it really comes in. What did uh, people do before Jesus came and gave us the keys of the kingdom to get deliverance? Uh, have you ever uncovered any of that? How would they get deliverance well, in the olden days? I know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Do you know what tefillin are? No, sir. Well, in the in the King James Bible, they're called phylacteries, and it says in in the Torah that we are to take the words of God and bind them on our arm and bind them between our eyes and to write them on our doorposts and on our gates. And that's one thing that is real powerful that that anybody can do for just a few bucks. You can go and buy what is called a mezuzah, and it's a little box, and you put the verse from the Bible of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, inside of that little box, and you nail it on your doorpost. And let me tell you, nobody evil is going to get in that house. Wow. Seriously. Because it's like a biofilter on Star Trek. <laughs> it keeps the germs out. Man, I have and, a... and, and wow. when you walk, it's like you go, when you go out the door... You see it, and it's interesting, because written, if you, if you buy a typical mezuzah, it might cost 15 20 bucks, or you can get a real fancy one for more. It has three Hebrew letters written on it. And this is just tradition. This isn't part of the Torah. But it's Sheen Dalad Yud, 
which is sh, the sh sound, the dust sound, and the i sound. And that spells two different things. It spells Shaddai, which, of course, is one of the names of God and means the all-sufficient God. And it also stands for Shomer Dalet Israel, which means he who guards the door of Israel. Amazing. And so whenever I leave my home, I just I just kiss my fingers and then touch the little box that has the scripture inside of it. And I say, hallelujah, or praise Yeshua, or something, you know, some just little thing like that. And it reminds me that when I walk out of the house, I'm walking out of my little temple and into the world. And that I should kind of have my armor on, you know, Debucker shields up, Scotty, you know, that kind of thing. And then when I come back, I do the same thing. I kiss it and, you know, or kiss my fingers and touch it. And I, I say, you know, Baruch Hashem Yahuwah, which means praise the name of Yahweh, and and go into the house. And it kind of like, you know, I'm reminded, okay, now I'm back in my little temple. Because any true Christian's home should be a temple, just like every true Christian's body should be a temple. The temple of the Holy and I'll tell you, having that thing on your door is powerful. But Amazing. what I was starting to say is these phylacteries, what they are, or tefillin is the Hebrew word, they're a little box that has Bible verses in them from the Torah. And you put one on your left bicep, and you put one on your forehead, and they're bound to them with leather straps. And let me tell you something. Before the days of Yeshua, if a person was bound up with evil spirits, Many times the the rabbis would come, or the kohanim, the priests would come, and they would put tefillin on the person, and that alone would drive the evil spirits out. I knew they had to have done it some way, because we know uh, David would play the harp and it would soothe uh, King Saul. Saul but, yeah, uh, yeah. But, the interesting thing is, is if you look at it, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen pictures of these, like you see the Jews playing, praying at the Wailing Wall, and they have, you see these little leather straps running up their left arm. Well, there's a reason for that. The, the idea is, is, that, is that, you know, the Messiah, Yeshua, is the right hand of God, okay? So because of that, the left hand has always had kind of a sinister, pardon the pun, reputation. Because I don't know if you know this, but the word sinister is the Latin word for left. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. That's wow. why when I was a little kid in the Catholic school, the nuns would beat it out of people. If you were a left-handed kid, they would beat you until you used your right hand. Because they believed if you were left-handed, you were of the devil. Wow. Which is, of course, totally stupid and ignorant. But Oh, yeah. Anyhow, so the idea is when you lay this to tefillin, it's like you're creating a spiritual tourniquet that prevents the evil from coming in through the through the left half of your body, which is the weaker half in most people. And, of course, you happen to... The interesting thing is, if you happen to be a left-handed person, then you lay tefillin on your right hand, and your, you know, your right arm. Amazing. And the other powerful part of it is the way the straps, those leather straps are done on your hand is spelled the Hebrew letter sheen, which means the Shekinah, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of God, and one of the knots on the thing on your bicep is the dalid, and the knot behind your skull that holds the one on your head is the letter yud. And so there again you have Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. You have become a living, walking Torah scroll. 
that's pretty powerful. Man, that that is powerful. You mentioned uh, earlier corrupted Bible versions. Um, have witches and warlocks and the Illuminati actually infiltrated and polluted uh, many of the uh, the New Age versions? Yeah. I mean, when I was a Satanist, there was no Bible that we cared anything about except the King James Bible. We hated that one. Really? Why was that? Because it is the only Bible that really kicks serious demon butt. Wow. All the other Bibles, it's like you're coming after the devil with a wet noodle. The sword of the Holy Spirit, at least for the English-speaking world, is the King James Bible. Amen. I'm in agreement with you. I won't uh, mess with the others. In fact, some of them have even been, uh, you know, changed so much that there's been 100,000 changes. And they yeah. take out, you know, it, We have this one uh, little track that people can download off our website. It's called What's Lurking in Your Home. In that, in that little track, we demonstrate how the NIV Bible is full of the Antichrist spirit. Amazing. No doubt about it. Uh, you mentioned fasting. Um, I've been trying to do a little bit of research on it. It, it seemed to me that uh, the disciples, uh, Paul and the rest, they were all fasting on a regular basis. Was there a particular day they, they preferred to fast, or what have you found well, out in, in some of your research? In the Judaism of the day, it was traditional to fast on Monday and Wednesday. Okay. Uh, and oddly enough, because of some of the anti-Semitism in the early church, uh, the the Gentile church, just to be un-Jewish, they change it to fasting on Tuesday and Friday. Really? <laughs> but I don't think it matters. I mean, I just kind of do it as the Lord leads me. Amen. And what will you do? Will you go for like 24 hours and just drink liquid, or you do no meats, or what do you recommend? Well, no, what I, well it depends. Sometimes I do what some people call a Daniel fast. Well, I'll just eat very humble, simple stuff like, you know, maybe like gruel or oatmeal or, or some peas or, or, you know, stuff like that, and, and don't eat anything at all. It's like heavy. And, and other days I'll go like from sundown, which is the beginning of the day, I'll eat dinner, and I'll go until the following sundown and I have nothing except liquids. You know, I'll have, you know, tea or coffee or juice or something, but that's it. I because I have some blood sugar issues I I can't just completely fast on nothing but water because that would be dangerous for me. Now, have you found fasting to be useful in uh deliverance sessions? Oh, my yes. Really? But I always tell people don't fast on the day you're doing it. Fast preparatorily like a couple of days before because you want to have, you know, all your energy with you, you know, on a physical basis when you go into the ring with old split foot, you know. Amen. Um, have you ever uh, used God's angels uh, in a deliberate session? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I don't know if I like the word used, because that, but I know what you mean. I have mean, they, have they assisted you? On numerous occasions, if we've had somebody who kind of, like, because, see, we lead people through these prayers. We don't speak the prayers over the person. Yes, sir. We want them to understand, because they're believers. Mark sixteen seventeen says they can cast out devils. We want them. We want them to feel empowered in the Lord that they can do this deliverance, and we're just kind of there as midwives. That's our approach. And so sometimes we'll be leading someone along, and all of a sudden they'll just get stuck. Like we know there's some big, you know, like block in the way, 
Yes, and sir. then we'll come and we'll say, okay, Lord, please send your warrior angels, and we'll start, you know, like reading the 91st Psalm, or we'll start singing some hymns about the blood of the Lamb and, you know, victory in Jesus, and all the demons hate that stuff, you know. Oh, yeah, they don't like the blood. So, you know, or power in the blood, that's another great one, you know. And so at that point, then they then they usually, usually it doesn't take more than five minutes to break down the wall of resistance. So, yeah, we we will frequently, of course, at the beginning... We always ask angels to be around the place. Now, let me ask because, you a question. Uh, what? What? No, you you continue that first. You ask God to have the yeah, angels the around idea the place. Of, you know, because that way the devil, because the devil will do anything he can to interfere. Like in Lucifer Throne, I think it was, we tell a story of how we had this lady who was supposedly a bride of Satan, and I, I don't doubt that she was because of what happened, because she had this strong man bodyguard, that that was a, was a fallen angel. It was so powerful. He picked up the church building and shook it. Good golly! Just like you'd pick up a a gerbil cage and shake it. I mean, literally, plaster was falling off the ceiling. Windows were cracking. There was like thunderstorms and lightning going on outside. But that that being could not get in. And finally, he had to skulk away. And believe yeah. me, I, I I understood what that being was because it's a special strong man that is only assigned to members of the royal court. Okay, what is the? Uh, we've heard the term uh, even recently in the past couple of days. Uh, people that had uh, claimed to be the brides of Satan. What would be the definition of them, and what was the royal court as you found out? Well, the royal court just means anybody who's related to the devil really? by marriage. And, of course, he has a very large harem. Okay. Uh, and so those people, women, would have these strong men assigned to them. And, of course, additionally, there are children of Satan who are, you know, like Antichrist in waiting, if you will, because the original Antichrist was conceived and then born on June 6, 1966. Oh, my goodness. But he kind of flopped. <laughs> Really? Oh, yeah. He was supposed to come to power in 1996. And because of prayer warriors, because I, I, I know some of this because I used to be in the Illuminati, and I knew that the guy was supposed to take over in 1996, and he didn't. He was a total flop. And he had until basically June 6th of 2006, and then Satan was going to kill him. Oh and God. he still didn't make it happen. He was sort of like a real loser. And so Satan just killed him. You got any, uh, are you at liberty to release his name? <laughs> uh, I didn't know his name. Do you that have was any highly classified. It was over my <laughs> security level, so to speak, in the Infernal Kingdom. You got any predictions on who might be the Antichrist? Some people say it might be uh, Rothschild's... Um... The, the no, no, I don't child, so. Or maybe it could be Prince Charles. I think it's more likely it's going to be Prince Charles' son. Really? Because, and, and you know, I don't know if you've heard me tell this or not, but way back when I was a, a druid and a witch, and of course, you know, the druids are like kind of a special sacred pagan priesthood of, of the British Isles. Yes. And, and Merlin, for example, was an arch-druid. Well, anyway, when we were made Druidic high priests, we were told of a prophecy that Merlin gave 
centuries and centuries ago. He said when the heir apparent of the king of England marries a woman with the name of the goddess, her son will be the reincarnation of King Arthur. Uh-oh. Who will come back. You know, the, the, you probably heard the expression, the once and future king. Yes. There's this belief that King Arthur never really died, but that he was entombed in the Emerald Isle of Avalon with Guinevere, and that when England needs him most, he will rise again. Right. You know, you know, a whole Camelot balderdash. Well, anyway, so the story is, is of course, Diana is obviously the consummate name of the goddess. And Princess Diana was the first princess of Wales ever to have a non-biblical name. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, most of them were named Mary or Elizabeth or, you know, all nice, you know, Hebrew names. Because, of course, the, the, the royal family is descended from David. You know, the, the, the prince of, like, Prince Charles does have Davidic blood in his veins. But his son has more. Because Amazing. Diana was much more uh, of the Davidic line than Prince Charles ever was. So there's uh, a, a real possibility that his oldest son could be the uh, the Antichrist. Well, yeah, because you look at Prince Charles, I mean, the guy's got the charisma of a horned toad. That's right. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, Prince William, and whose middle name, by the way, is Arthur. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Not only that, here's two interesting coincidences. Prince Charles and Princess Diana were married on the same day we were married, but seven years later, on the day that witches are almost always married, which is the orb of Lama's Tide, the July 29th, July 30th, July 31st, August 1st. Wow. Now, from what I understand, Prince William and whatever her name is, is it Kate? I forget. I, I don't really follow this stuff. But anyway, they're getting married on the eve of Beltane. Uh-oh which is another high witch holiday. How about that? Now, is that just a coincidence? No, I, I think that uh, it, it very well could be uh, deliberate. Um, we've got a question from the chat room. It says, uh, ask Bill, uh, what do you know about the Feast of the Beast? Is that coming soon, and what is that? No, it just happened a year ago. The Feast of the Beast is a major satanic holiday that occurs only every 28 years. And it is a very, very bad time. And it happened in 2009, I think it's September 7th, my memory may be failing me, but the last time it happened was 2009, so it obviously won't happen again until 2030. Uh, maybe it's 28 years, I'm sorry. Anyhow, um, what did I say, 21? Anyway, it is 28 years. And... Uh, we had one of the worst nights of our life that night, trying to fight the werewolves off in our apartment. <laughs> oh, good grief. But we made it. Whenever you... And it's a major feast. There's huge sacrifices of children all over the world. Uh, we put out a big thing on Facebook about two weeks before telling parents, please, please pray over your children, protect your children, don't let them go anywhere yeah. you know, without you on that night because it's a night that the predatory devil worshiper types are out there in force trying to find innocent little children, especially if they can find the child of a Christian, 
that's like exceptionally pleasing to Satan. Okay, now um, I'm glad you brought that up because I had a red alert sent to me um, today. I don't know the person, but they said there is a winter solstice and an eclipse overlap occurring tonight. It'll be the first time in 456 years they were calling people to pray. Now, I know that there was a satanic high holiday coming up on, uh, I guess, December 21st, but uh, or this week, but... Um, well, the, you... the solstice is normally the 21st or the 22nd of December. Okay. And that's have the you... shortest day of the year. And Yeah, you're right. It is a, a witch holiday. It's called Yule. It's the basis for Christmas. All right. It's when the sun god is reborn, because, of course, in our northern latitudes, it's when the sun starts getting, appears to be getting stronger every day. So people are out so, here... Yeah, I would say it is significant to have a, a full moon... Uh, and an eclipse and the solstice in the same week. So is it very possible that tonight in the witching hour there's going to be a lot of um, occultic prayers offered up? Uh, it is certainly possible, yeah. I would advise people to do some serious praying tonight. Okay. Absolutely. What could a, pers what could a person do to uh, pray over themselves and their family if they're listening out there? Give an example prayer that a Christian might could pray for protection. Well... I would I would just say something like, you know, Abba Father, please, in the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah, I just ask that you would you would cover my house and my family with the shed blood of the Lamb. I pray, Father, that you would forgive any sins that have been committed in our household this day, uh, either by me or by anybody else in the family. I pray, Father, that you would remit the sins that have been committed. I repent, I ask you, and on behalf of my family, to help me to forsake those sins completely and entirely. Father God, I pray that you would put a legion of angels around this property and protect us from all assaults of the adversary. I pray that you would bless every room of this house and anoint it anew with the blood of the Lamb and put your blood over the doorpost of this house, the destroying angel, that the angel of death might not come nigh and that no agent of darkness might come by no agent of the of the other side would be able to enter this house or even enter this property. And I pray that he would protect and bless me and my children and grandchildren, if any, and keep us safe this night and every night in the name and for the sake of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Now let me ask you a question. I know uh, demons work in and through their people and even through Christians, sure. but uh, the people that are actually working for Satan knowingly, um, they have assassins and, you know, people that go out there to try to do harm to people, kidnaps and so forth. Sure. Does a Christian need to um, uh, arm themselves uh, if they're going to be a target? Uh, or Are you meaning like a gun? Yeah. Do, would a person need, to, would need protection against some of these um, uh, witches and warlock assassins, or can you rely on the uh, angels of God for protection? And that's all you well, need. you know what Yeshua said. I mean, he said, you know, before I said, don't take anything with you, and I tell you to take a sword with you. So I, I, I mean, I have a couple of guns. I have no problem with that. Uh, I, I, I don't. I think that's up to the individual Christian. But of course, some of these things a gun would do no good against. Right. When you've got a werewolf at your door. You can shoot it. You can empty a forty-four Magnum into the thing, and it won't do any good. That's right. So it's better to be spiritually fortified. Amen. Have a blood of Jesus. Uh, we only have about ten minutes remaining, folks. I told you, Bill, this was going to go by fast. Oh, <laughs> what, sure, sure. What an what an awesome program tonight. Um, 
Let me ask you just a couple of quick rapid-fire questions. Sure. Um, we were talking about Pentecost, and that brought up a thought in mind. There's a lot of people seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and they have not received that yet. Could there be a demonic blockage to that that's keeping them oh, from being baptized? possibly, yes. Certainly. Because, you know, again, um, it's all about a deeper level of intimacy with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And if you have, you know, either sin in your life or if you have uh, demonic, like maybe stuff from your ancestors that you aren't aware of, yeah, that could definitely be in a hindrance, certainly. What, book, what books would you recommend uh, for someone wanting to learn about uh, spiritual warfare? Uh, what would be a good one for them to read? That, uh, <laughs> well, obviously I would say Blood on the Doorpost by okay. me and my lovely wife. Uh, I think that's a very good one. I think, um, let's see... Uh, well, there's Ed Murphy's book, which is just called Spiritual Warfare. There's Mark Bubeck's books, The Adversary and Overcoming the Adversary. There's also uh, Thomas White's book, A Believer's Guide to Spiritual Warfare. And there's, of course, the old classic, you know, Jesse Penn Lewis, War on the Saints. Uh, Rebecca Brown's uh, He Came to Set the Captive Free. Um, that's That's a pretty good library right there. Well, you know, you actually took one of the questions off of my list. I was going to ask you about Rebecca Brown. There's been a lot of controversy. Uh, some people say that uh, she never left the occult. Uh, others say she's legitimate. Uh, what's, what's your impression of Rebecca? Did you ever meet her? Oh, yes. We're friends. Uh, in fact, we ha I had the privilege of ministering with her oh, a couple, three years ago in Paris. Um, I don't agree with everything she teaches. Uh, but I, I prayed with her, I fellowshiped with her, I do believe she's a genuine sister in the Lord, you know. Uh, I mean, nobody's ever going to agree with everything everybody teaches, you know, I mean, because no book is perfect except, of course, the Bible. So, uh, I, you know, I, I don't agree with some of the stuff in her later books. Uh, candidly, um, I don't know how to say this delicately, but... I think her husband has been a deleterious uh, influence upon her. Okay. And so I think her post-matrimonial books have some questionable things in them. And she'll that's probably a, smack me if I if she hears that I said that. But that's okay. That's a fair. That's a fair answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she did an enormous good with with those first two books with with kind of getting the witches out of the broom closet, so to speak, and, and you know, revealing a lot of this stuff that really had not been talked about for almost a generation. Bill, and I, I think, you know, she did a great work of God in that, and, um, you know, let's just leave it at that. I don't believe she's a fake. I don't believe she's an occultist or a witch or anything like that. That was a story that was started by Wynn Worley, who I personally think, well, I don't think much of the guy. I mean, I know he's now deceased, but anyway. Uh, so I, you, uh, I advise, you know, caution with Win Worley's material, so maybe you didn't want me to say that, but I'm saying it anyway. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, we don't pull any punches on this program, folks. This is on live radio. Bill, yeah. um, let me ask you this question. There is a lot of witchcraft in Massachusetts. Um, in fact, uh, <laughs> I hear maybe one in ten people over there are witches. Is it maybe more? But... Um, the, the question I'm getting at is uh, if a, a group of Christians wanted to do some spiritual warfare and start uh, launching an attack against these covens, 
what's the best way to do that? Well, uh, first of all, I think there's more witches in Washington State than there ever are in Massachusetts. But really? that's beside the point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Having preached in both states, definitely. Now, Salem is different. <laughs> I mean, you know, Salem's sort of a law unto itself. I mean, it probably has more witches than any place in America, but, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Here's what I would say. This is something I was taught by a guy named Dr. John Benefiel just a few months ago, and I think it's one of the most powerful teachings I've ever heard about kind of cosmic-level spiritual warfare. And that is what you have to do if you're in any state. This is true. Not just Massachusetts, not just Washington. Any state in this country, any country in the world is going to have witches crawling all over the place. What you need to do is you need to divorce the principality of Baal. Okay. Now, how to do that, we have a newsletter article on our website. It's a little involved to go into. We also, what this guy did, he's a pastor down in Oklahoma City, great man of God, and he actually had his lawyer on his board put together a divorce decree wherein the people of God are requesting a divorce from Baal. Now, do you know what the word Baal means in Hebrew? No, sir. Husband. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it can mean Lord or it can mean husband. And, of course, it can also generically mean any one of a number of false deities. But the, when, when we, as um, unsaved people, we were married to Baal, and we need to divorce him. And so on our website, under the free resources page, you can also go to his website, obviously, and get it, too. And I think it's Apostolic Prayer Network or something. But on our website, you can access it on a free resources page. It's called Divorcing Bail Decree and then the Writ of Assistance. And these are links you can click, and then you just say these prayers over your community. What, what I did personally is I went around Dubuque, which is my city here. I went to the high places like the Roman Catholic Cathedral, the abortion clinic, the porno shop, the four quarters of the city, and in all those areas, I, I prayed this decree under the authority. Because, see, we are law enforcement officers in the kingdom of God. Yes. You yeah. know, and we have the right, just like you can send out the sheriff to serve a writ on somebody that's staying in your, your we're renting to them and they're staying past the time they paid the rent, and you can evict them. Well, yes, we sir. can evict bail in the Amen. same way because we have the authority of a believer to do that. And anyhow, both of these decrees are on my website. You can download them for free. And I would recommend printing them out and getting everybody in your churches to go to the various places in your city and your state. This, this prayer movement is going from state to state in the order in which the states entered the United States Union. So by now, I mean, if you're on the East Coast, it's already well passed, but that doesn't mean you can't still do it. Okay, so you And if you're on the West Coast, or like, you know, Hawaii or Alaska or some of those latecomer states to the Union, you can still get involved in this. It's called Route 52, R-O-O-T 52, meaning the 50 states, then the, you know, Guam and um, Puerto Rico. Okay. So uh, go for it. So basically, you would um, you would do some um, 
you divorce the coven from Bell? Is that what would, what's taking would, place? Well, you'd go, if you have reason to believe there's a coven operating in your city, you okay. would go where the Holy Spirit has, say, Holy Spirit, lead me to where this covenstead is. All right. And he'll do it. He, wa- he wants people to step out amen. and do exploits. Amen. Now, once you have, once you have located it, amen. Um, then you, would... you stand in this place and do this decree. Okay. And just, just speak it forth on behalf of you and your community. And it will cut, because if you look at the thing, it, it says uh, the principality of Baal, including but not limiting to the Queen of Heaven, Leviathan et al. Ah, <laughs> you know, et al in Latin, meaning the whole kit and caboodle. So Baal is like the ultimate symbol of a false god in the in the Torah, in the Tanakh. And so basically he's you're by doing that you're cutting off the head off the snake for that particular environment that you're in. Now, is there any other way you can attack a coven? In other words, have you ever tried to bind their strong men and their demons and maybe command civil war inside of the coven? Oh, you can do that, sure. Okay. I don't think that's as powerful as this. And I'll, I'll, uh, this is specifically another thing that I, I learned from a different guy. I don't know if you ever heard of Henry Groover. Oh, absolutely. He's a great yeah. prayer warrior. Amen. And he, he prayer walks cities. And he taught me this one. He says he was at one of the major Druidic centers of Wales. And, of course, the country of Wales is like the nerve center of Druidism for the world. And he stood up on this mountaintop where there was these cromlech stones, you know, the little circle of stones like you see in the movies. And he prayed this prayer as the Holy Spirit led him. He said, Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the people that come here to worship these false gods will be confronted with the glory and power and beauty of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ to such an extent that they would either fall on their knees and repent and renounce witchcraft, or else they would flee in abject terror. Wow. You know um, what happened? What happened next? In three days, he was staying at this local church down at the bottom of this mountain, and this lady showed up, and she was the wife of the grand druid of the whole country, and she wanted to know how to get saved. Oh, my goodness. Praise God. And within three days, her husband was there, and he got saved. And the whole network just dissolved within about a month. Oh, my goodness. Um, are these covens well-financed? Can you hit them in their pocketbooks? That would be difficult. Some of them are, some of them aren't. I'm not sure how you would do it, because it's not like, you know, there's the, the first bank of Satan or something down the street that you can boycott. I mean, I don't know how you would do it. If you have a way, I'd like to know it. Maybe just asking uh, God to bind their finances in Jesus' name, you know? Well, um, sure. Although the funny thing was, is the whole time that I was a witch and a Satanist, I never had two nickels to rub together. Wow. I was so, not. I, I mean, once I got born again, all of a sudden the Lord started really blessing me, but the devil was a total welcher. I mean, most uh, of the jobs I had when I was a Satanist were things like being a newspaper carrier or a night watchman or a foundry worker or a bus driver, you know, just stuff like that, you know. Amen. Kind Folks, of interesting. We are, uh, our time is up on the blog talk. I'm going to uh, keep Bill on just for a few more moments if he's got a few more minutes left on the stereo stream. Uh, but, Bill, go ahead and give out your website and contact information again, please. 
Sure, yeah, you can reach me at, at withoneaccord.org, that's W-I-T-H-O-N-E-A-C-C-O-R-D.org, just like Acts Chapter 2. And then we also, my my email is S-N as in Nancy, E-B as in boy, L-E-N as in Nancy. Okay, got that. I apologize for that. Um, That's okay. I I needed a New Year drum anyway. (laughs) Repeat that address again, please. Uh, The email? Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, S-N as in Nancy, E-B as in boy, L-E-N as in Nancy, at gmail.com. Uh, folks, we're almost out of time here. Uh, we got one or two more questions left. Uh, Bill, when we're talking about finances and the believer, um, many times people are under financial attack. Uh, is it uh, coming from the enemy? Is Satan uh, attacking their finances, put maybe a curse on them? Any thoughts on That's that? That's possible. Uh, and again, you've got to ask yourself. I mean, they're you know, like um, the the whole tithing thing is so misunderstood. I do believe believers should tithe, but I also believe that you should tithe, you have to tithe like the Bible says, of your increase. So what that means is, if you've got more expenses and you've got money at the end of the month, you don't owe the Lord a nickel. So don't let preachers who are greedy put you under condemnation. On the other hand, if you've got more money than month, then you should tithe out of that. And did you know there are three tithes? No, sir. What what did you find in your research? There's the tithe that goes to the Levites, which I would interpret that today as meaning that that goes to support your church. There's a, the 10% of your increase. There is a second tithe that goes to the poor. And you don't hear much about that in most churches because, you know, I mean, there are many churches that do have a heart for the poor, but not enough. And then the third tithe, did you know it goes to you? Interesting. Because what the Lord says in the Torah is you take this third tithe, this 10%, you lay it aside, and then when you come to my feasts, you celebrate, and you use that tithe to party. You buy what, this is what the King James says, it says, you buy whatsoever your soul lusteth after. Now, obviously, it, it means food. It doesn't mean like hookers. <laughs> you know? right. But in other words, you have fun in the Lord. You take your family and you go to the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Passover or the Feast of Pentecost, and you just enjoy yourselves. You, maybe you go out to eat or, or you go and have a picnic or you go and have fun with them in a, in a good godly sense. You know what I'm saying. And most Amen. people don't even realize that, it, that God, it's his intention that we should have fun, that we should enjoy our families, we should enjoy each other. We don't have to be, you know, grim and, oh, I've got to pray three hours a day or God will kill me, you know, that kind of thing. No, it's supposed to be, you're supposed to enjoy yourself in the Lord with that third tithe. So, I mean, you, I do tell people they need to tithe. And, and, you know, of course, beyond that, there are also offerings. But I think that's the only sure way of breaking curses off of off of Satan that Satan has put on you off your finances. Well, Amen. It does say uh, if you bring the tithes into the storehouse of God, you know I will rebuke the devourer. 
So uh, I believe you can break uh, curses that way, absolutely. Um, we've got another really controversial question I want to ask you in the remaining time. Um, a lot of people are kind of torn between the name of God is Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, what is the difference, or does God have uh, many names, and that's two of them? Well, if you'll notice in my newsletters and articles, I will just write Y-H, you know, W-H. The tetragrammaton. But I say it as Yahuwah. Yahuwah. Because, um, first of all, the V sound is relatively modern in Hebrew, if you really understand ancient Hebrew. Uh, so it, 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 the, the, the Hebrew letter that we call Vav, really, you know, like thousands of years ago would have pronounced Wa, W-A-W. Um, and I, I say it's not rocket science. You know, if you look at the name of Judah in Hebrew, it's Yehuda. It's yod Hey dalad vav Hey. So all you do to figure out how to say his name is knock out the Dalit and just say Yahuwah. Interesting. Now, if you say Yahweh, that's fine. Uh, I'm not real crazy about Jehovah. Because, I don't know if you've heard this teaching or not, but but Jehovah actually means Yah is mischief in Hebrew. Really? Yes. Uh, see, Jehovah was come up with by a Catholic monk about 600, 550 years ago. So, and he did it by taking the, the, the Tetragrammaton and folding the word Adonai, which, of course, superstitious rabbis we're using instead of the divine name for the last 2,000 years. Or they'll just say, so I believe you know, they Yeshua won't even... came to restore his father's name. Sure. And that his father's name is Yahweh or Yahuwah. And I don't, I don't, I think he understands that we're, we're all seeing this through a glass darkly, as Paul says, and that whether we say Yahuwah or Yahweh or Yahuwah, or whatever. I mean, it just I don't know how we would get that O sound in there. You know, right. I don't claim to be a Hebrew scholar, but but there's no way you can get that O sound from Jehovah or Jehovah. So, and of course, there was no letter J until like the 1500s or 1600s. So, there's no way that the name that came down from Mount Sinai was Jehovah. I'm sorry, couldn't be. Well, absolutely, there is no uh, J in Hebrew, but um, you know, as I uh, as I told a person one time, we were debating to use Jesus or Yeshua. I said, "Look, I know his Hebrew name was Yeshua, but Jesus Christ is English translation, and it's like this, folks. You know, the Son of God is big enough that he can answer to his English or Hebrew name. You know, just like oh, sure, um, absolutely. And I'm not one of these people that teach it. Oh, it means Hey Zeus, you know, and stuff like that. I mean, I think that's that's a, a silly use of, of linguistics, it really is. But it, it's actually, I do believe it's more respectful to call him by his real name. I don't think it's a matter of doctrine, I think it's a matter of respect. And I do, quite frankly, think it's more powerful in terms of I don't have any problem warfare. with someone who wants to use Yeshua or they want to use Jesus Christ. I believe that uh, they're both the same. Um, but yeah. I do have a problem, Bill, is I, I have been attacked before by some that said, hey, if you use the name Jesus Christ... You know that that's uh, there's no power in that, and I tell them, look, oh, millions, silly. yeah, it's silly. Millions of demons have come out by the name of Jesus Christ, and it's like Yochanan is 
is Hebrew for John, and you got John in English, you got Juan in Spanish. You know, the Son of God is big enough to answer to his English or Hebrew name. So, sure. um, well, you know, what they've done is they basically, uh, they have forgotten the most important commandments, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. They don't have any love. They want to rip you to shreds, and so they've just shot themselves in the foot. So, Well, that's the trouble. I mean, the danger with all of this stuff, and I, I, not just with Messianics and Hebrew roots type people and divine name, true name, whatever you want to call them, people, but, I mean, even with Baptists and every other every other group, is that you start getting prideful, you start getting judgmental, and you start attacking other people. And that's not right, especially if they're, if they're members of the body of Messiah. You know, I, I, I hate to quote Augustine because I don't like Augustine, but he said a very wise thing. He said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, diversity, and in all things, charity. Interesting. You know, if we for, if we forget love, then we've we've missed it, folks. Because uh, yes, love your neighbor as yourself, and uh, it's, it's a commandment. Well, listen, Bill, I uh, I squeezed out an extra hour, folks. Listen, this was to be a two-hour interview, <laughs> and uh, I I lost track of time. And I'm sorry, I hogged the uh, the line. We had the phone lines lit up. We've got to have you back on and talk about so many other subjects and and more on this. Well, that's fine. And uh, it's been an honor and pleasure to have you on tonight. Before we go, give out your contact information again one more time, please. Sure. And no fire sirens this time, okay? <laughs> All right. Yeah, it's uh website is withoneaccord.org, W-I-T-H-O-N-E-A-C-C-O-R-D.org. And my email is S-N as in Nancy, E-B as in boy, L-E-N as in Nancy at gmail.com, because that's how I say my name, Sneblin, at gmail.com. <laughs> Sneblin, I got it now. Bill Sneblin. Yeah, yeah. Praise God. Thank you so much, Bill, for coming on tonight. You May bet. the Lord richly bless you. Okay, you too. Good God night bless you and tonight. shalom. Shalom, my friend. Folks, that was Bill Sneblin on tonight. Uh, we are on the live stream, so if you're listening, uh, thank God for the hi-fi stereo. Now, folks, listen, um, this is live radio, okay? I don't agree with everybody on everything. No one's going to agree with everybody on every single thing. Um, provided that we can find common ground on doctrinal issues, well, then we keep pushing forward. And uh, I'm not going to be like an Art Bell where I just go say, hey, I'm going to bring all the witches and warlocks and New Age people on and let them give their opinion on life and what they think is right. No, I don't do that, folks. If it's contrary to the Word of God, then, uh, you know, believe me, uh, I'll stand up for Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, he does have a Hebrew name, Yeshua. And, you know, again, I don't have any problem with someone who wants to use Yeshua. Sometimes I use it. The problem I do have, though, as Bill agreed with me on, was that there are people out there that say, unless you use the Hebrew name of Jesus Christ, then there's no power. That there's no power in the name of Jesus Christ. And I say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Because there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. It's the Son of God. And if you want to use Yeshua, there's power in the name of Yeshua. But for those that would say there's no power in Jesus Christ, um, they need deliverance tonight. And there are some that have fallen into that trap. Because uh, that's the English name of the Son of God. He's big enough, folks, to answer to English or Hebrew. I just wanted to clarify that here. But, um, you know, we do look through the glass starkly with a lot of things. And soon we'll see face-to-face. You know, uh, I don't claim to understand everything. Um, I'm open to to the fact that, uh, hey, there's a lot more that uh, I need to learn. I've 
I know 1% about deliverance. But I, I praise God for the, the men and women that have come on this program and that come on and teach. Um, I like what Bill said about the King James Bible. Look, that has been uh, in stone for 400 years, folks. You can't go wrong with it. Okay, maybe there's 100 words in there that uh, are not common to our 2010 vocabulary. We'll get a, a thesaurus and look them up. There's power in the Word of God, King James Bible. Men and women died to bring that to us, okay? So good enough for them is good enough for me. And not to mention, it has not been corrupted as Bill will attest to. Uh, you know, there are many witches and warlocks and Illuminatis that have infiltrated these uh, publishing companies and are seeking to water down the Word of God. They've even removed the references to prayer and fasting. There's some demons that only come out with fasting. So uh, very important that you, you're you not reading a corrupted text. Get the King James Bible. You know, But I don't understand it. Folks, it's a supernatural book. It takes the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. So just jump into it. You don't have to understand everything, but put it, in, put it into your memory banks. Ask God to let the Holy Spirit open your eyes, okay? Play it over you at night uh, as you are going to sleep. Let the Word of God play over you, and uh, it's powerful. Transformation will take place in your life. Now, uh, I liked what Bill said tonight. I will uh, take point with him on Win Worley. Um, as many of you know, I believe Win Worley was the general in deliverance. Great pioneer. I wish I had met the man, but uh, he's got some of the, the best deliverance material of all time. And uh, so I praise God for Win Worley. Uh, Hegelis Church, Pastor Michael Thierer, HBCDelivers.org. We have a number of uh, people affiliated with uh, Hegelis Church. And uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to, to know many of them. And uh, I praise God for, for the ministry of Win Worley. You know, uh, people didn't like him because uh, he had such a zeal for going after demons. Oh, I say praise God for him because if more of us did that, we wouldn't be in some of the situations that we're finding ourselves in right now. We're finding our children all bound up, tied up on drugs. They're on psychotropic drugs. They've lost their minds. Okay, they're uh, taking Harry Potter, becoming witches. They've got three and four generational curses on them. Okay, because they've gotten into the occult. We've got people committing suicide out there. Okay, people blowing up their souls through fragmentation, ungodly soul ties. In the church, we've got pastors that are falling through pornography, through adultery. We've got Ahab and Jezebel running rampant. We've got the third wave, Kundalini, taking people over into the third heaven, astral projecting. What's going on, folks, is sick. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. Do I hear an amen out there? And uh, I praise God for the deliverance ministers. There's just a handful of them out there, folks, that we found. We found another brother last night, Brother Emmett. He called in. Dr. Pat Holliday and I spoke with him, and we're going to get a hold of him. He believes just like we do, that a Christian can have a demon. Uh, he loves Derek Prince's book. He loves Lynn Worley books, and, and uh, he's okay in my book. So I praise God for him, and if he's listening out there, we, I'm, I'm going to call you back. Um, again, so I just wanted to say that uh, I thank God for um, Brother Wynn Worley, for Hegelish Church, um, Pastor John Franklin. We're going to be playing a uh, rerun of the Halloween night program here in about 45 minutes. Let me get back to that. Okay, listen, uh, John Franklin and Sister Brenda alerted me the other night uh, that he had found a obscure reference to this 
overlapping of the winter solstice and the eclipse. It's the first time in 456 years. He caught it, uh, I believe, by the providence of God when he was looking at the Drudge Report. A little tiny reference to it. Folks, this is an important day in the occult. The witches and the warlocks and the covens are going to be using this to the max tonight to do harm. We need everybody out there praying tonight, okay? Binding these foul spirits that are being unleashed against the churches, against the people of God. Command them to go back to where they came from in Jesus' name. Asking God to loose warrior angels down to fight these foul spirits and these witches' covens out there. Bind them up in Jesus' name. Do spiritual warfare. Cover yourself in the blood of Jesus foremost and your family tonight. And, uh, you know, if you feel led, stay up and be praying. The witching hour is about 12 to 4 a.m. So I know Pastor John Franklin and Brendan Canada are going to be praying. We're going to be running a program for the next uh, three hours starting at midnight. I'm going to be doing spiritual warfare here. And, folks, it's time for some people to stand in the gap. You know, one angel can put a thousand demons to flight. One man or one woman binding and loosing in the name of Jesus Christ can have major repercussions in the heavenlies. So I uh, just wanted to alert people to that, that tonight, um, for the first time in 456 years, there's going to be an overlap of the winter solstice and the eclipse. So it's, a, uh, it's going to be an opportunity for the host of hell to try to wreak havoc out there. And so we can't sit, sit by idly. We need to be going into our prayer closets tonight, uh, praying, praying over our families. And the way I do it is, uh, you know, every night I, and every morning, I just say, I do some spiritual warfare. It's like this. I say, I cover myself with the blood of Jesus. I apply the blood of Jesus to my, my wife, my son, my daughter, my grandchild, my, my home, my car, whatever you've got, okay, your family, your brothers, your sisters, your mom and dad. Just apply the blood of Jesus. And then what you want to do is say, I drink the blood of Jesus. And that's one of the reasons you take communion, too. You, you, uh, you remember the sacrifice that Lord Jesus made on the cross. And um, he died for our sins, shed his blood, he rose again, seated on the right hand of the Father, till God makes his enemies his footstool. And he's returning at the last trump. But what I do is I say, I apply the blood of Jesus to myself. Then I ask God to loose warrior angels to surround me and my family, okay, for our protection in Jesus' name. And then what I do is I break all hexes, vexes, curses, and spells, hoodoo, voodoo, witchcraft, sorcery, psychic prayers, jinxes, bewitchments. I break it off of me, and I command it to go back to the demon that sent it in Jesus' name. You don't have to take that crap, folks. You send it back to the demon that sent it, back on them. Like Bill said, um, bounces back on them. You don't have to take that. That's not cursing them. That's just saying, I'm not going to receive it. And then what I do is I say, I bind all witchcraft, all demons that have been sent against me, away from me, and I send them back to where they came from, to the demon that sent them in Jesus' name. Because these, these wicked uh, witches and warlocks mean business. But we don't have to have fear of them. For greater is he that is in thee than he that is in the world. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. But it doesn't mean that you sit idly. You must appropriate the keys of the kingdom. You must use them. If you've got a set of keys, okay, to your car, and you don't put it in your ignition, that car is not going anywhere. If you've got a set of keys to your house or your apartment, and you don't put it in that door lock, you're not getting in. Uh, amen? 
binding and loosing, whatever you bind on earth be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth be loosed in heaven in Jesus' name shall be done. So that's what you do. That's a little bit of spiritual warfare. And then what I do is I just start saying, I bind all foul spirits. Um, like if you want to do self-deliverance, you know, do it every single day. You know, just say, I bind the strong man, I bind the gatekeeper, I bind any foul spirit inside of me, and I command it to come out in Jesus' name. Go to where Jesus sends it or send it to the foot of Jesus to be judged before it's time. I like that with Dr. Pat. And uh, we're on a uh, hi-fi stream, folks, for those of you who are still in the chat room. You can click on that, and it'll take you right there. Let me uh, let me type that again. Here we go. Send this link out to everyone, folks. It's on the stereo stream listening right now. That's how you can listen to this program live. We're still going live. Well, um, so you can bind the foul spirits in you in Jesus' name, okay? Command them to come out in the name of Jesus. you got that authority as a believer. You can bind foul spirits in other believers. If they want to be set free, okay, you bind those foul spirits, command them to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. That's called deliverance. Ask God and loose his warrior angels to surround you. Ask God for a wall of fire of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah 2 and 5, to uh, in- surround your house. Okay? I even saturate my atmosphere here with the blood of Jesus. Listen, the blood of Jesus is powerful. It's the most powerful weapon we have. There's a great book by H.A. Maxwell White called the, the Power of the Blood. I've got ten copies here. Okay, you can order this book from agapibible.org. You can also get it from wrwpublications.com. Two fine book rooms. One is uh, Pastor John Gogan of Agape Bible Fellowship. The other is wrwpublications.com uh, of uh, Hegelish Church. Pastor Michael Thierer, we're going to have him on hopefully in a few days. Uh, great man of God, and uh, I'll see some of you probably at the Deliverance Men's Deliverance Conference in January. Looking forward to that. Um, what's my point here? My point is you've got to do spiritual warfare, friends. The Muslims are praying three to six times a day. The witches and warlocks are praying up to three hours a day, as Bill said, for our destruction. We cannot sit on our butts any longer, think we're going to go to church, one day a week, throw a dollar in the offering plate, then go have our cappuccinos, go watch our football, and that's what it's all about. We've got to get busy. We've got to get our gear on and get to the front lines. All vacations have been canceled. Honeymoon's over, folks. The host of hell are waging war, and they're taking casualties of our family and our friends because... Most church members say, oh, I can't have a demon. Folks, you can have anything that you want to have. Now, the Holy Spirit will seal your spirit, but you still got the soul, which is the mind, will, emotions, and you got the flesh, where the demons will infest you if you've opened up the doorway through sin. Or maybe they came down the generational lines. Maybe it wasn't even your fault, but it was your forefathers that were in witchcraft and adultery and homosexuality and drugs and alcohol and rebellion, the list goes on and on. And now you've got them, because they have a legal right to come down the family line. And you've got to renounce the sins of the fathers. You've got to ask God to forgive your family for the sins that brought these demons down the family line and command them to go in Jesus' name. Folks, it's that simple. 
Nothing to be ashamed about to say you've got a demon. We've all got demons. When Worley said, hey, there's some I won't get free of until I meet Jesus, he was honest. I've never met someone that was demon-free, folks. Now, you can, you can be victorious over them. Okay, you can be in control. You can increase. Jesus Christ and you can increase. They can diminish. But my point is, um, we've all got things that we do. We all get contaminated. We all do some stupid things sometimes. But, hey, if we sin, Satan gets a stronghold on us, okay, it's up to us to repent and cast him out. Otherwise, he'll squat. It's like a squatter. You've got to kick it out. It was illegally trespassing. So I'm not saying you can't have victory, and I'm not saying you can't live a victorious life. Sure you can. But uh, don't fool yourself, my friends. Okay? And getting deliverance one time, you say, oh, I've been totally set free of everything. Are you really sure? Some of us couldn't handle it if we got 100% total deliverance of everything tonight. We're so infested. But you know what? Praise God, there is victory in Jesus' name. And you ask God to show you hidden sin. Okay? Uh, you got to break soul ties sometimes. How many of you have been promiscuous? Real eye-opener to think that, hey, you had sex with someone outside of marriage or during marriage, you had adultery, okay? And... Uh, they, you got that soul tie you didn't cut. They continue to have sex. And it's just like a, you know, on and on it goes. It's true, folks. Sin brings consequences. It brings death. We've got to repent. We've got to be washed in the blood of Jesus. Do I hear an amen out there? So um, that's why we do these programs, okay? To try to increase the knowledge. You know, take the meat from these programs throughout the bones. Take everything you hear, take it to the the Word of God, and pray about it. I'm not asking you to take everything I say as the gospel. I miss it, just like anybody else. But uh, we're trying to find the truth here together. We're trying to increase the knowledge here about how to fight this enemy. And you know what? Jesus said that the first sign that shall follow them that believe is they will cast out devils in my name. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Speaking new tongues, you know. We've been given the authority over these serpents and scorpions. So uh, we just have to ask God to show us sin in our life. David said, God, show me my hidden sin. You know, like shine a light on me. Put a lamp on me, you know. I ask God to let the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit just come in and fill me up and illuminate any hidden sin and any demonic spirits that are lingering and lurking down there, waiting to activate at the worst possible time, try to take you out. you got to root them out, my friends. It's like an onion. You peel off the first layer, you get some deliverance. Go back, ask God to press his finger against the next demon. In your life, needs to come out. Show you some more sins. Show you something you need to repent of. Maybe you got some more roots of bitterness that got to come out. Unforgiveness is, I would say, the, probably the biggest gateway next to witchcraft. Unforgiveness. We've all had bitterness and unforgiveness. Haven't we? And look how easy that can come up in your life. So uh, we have to forgive. We want to be forgiven. We have to forgive others. Jesus says, if you do not forgive, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. That's something sobering. I had to think about that today. So... Praise God. Get in the Word of God. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. You know, 
be instant in season, out of season. So I praise God for this program tonight. I better end it, or I won't be able to queue up this next program. But uh, again, um, MegamanRadio.com is our official website. Support the ministry. We need your help. Uh, support the Deliverance Ministers, Dr. Pat Holliday, Michael Thier Hegewish, Pastor John Gobigan, Agape Bible Fellowship, Pastor John and Brenda Franklin, the Canadian Fellowship, Joseph Jasinski, uh, John Kyle, Montana, another fine brother we just found. Praise God for Brother John. Um, Pastor James Mobley, Chicago, Illinois. Praise God for him. He's going to be on this week. Tomorrow night, I'm going to have Pastor David Langford. Wednesday night, we're going to have Pastor James Mobley, Pastor John Gogan. That'll be a double show. Thursday night, John Kyle. Friday night, Pastor John Franklin, ordained minister with uh, Hegwish Church. Praise God for you out there tonight, Pastor John. And uh, Pastor Dr. Pat Holliday, Saturday night, School of Deliverance. Uh, Sunday night, we're going to have the School of Warfare Prayer. That's MiracleInternetChurch.com, PatHolliday.com. Shouts out to Dr. Pat Holliday, great woman of God. And, uh, you know, I just thank God for all these ministers out here. Sometimes we miss it, folks. Okay? But I will tell you, at least we're doing something. We're not sitting on the sidelines. We're going after the enemy. Somebody's got to do it. I looked for a man and I couldn't find anyone, God said. You know, basically, everybody was busy doing their own thing. How true is that, my friends? How sad is that? Everybody was doing their own thing. Let it not be with us. You know, today is the day to, to make a decision to change the things that we've been doing. You know, it's not too late until the spirit leaves the body. Do I hear an amen out there? We've all missed it, messed up. But God's looking for people to say, hey, I, I've screwed up. Forgive me. Forgive me for wasting time. Forgive me for wasting resources. And what can I do for you, Lord? Not my will, but thy will be done. Open the right doors, shut the wrong doors. That's what I pray. I try to pray that every day. But isn't that true, my friends? That's what we need to be doing. We need to ask God, God, what would you have me to do for you? That's the least that I can do, Lord Jesus, because you shed your your blood for me on Calvary. Without you, we, we would be toast. So um, it's not too late. We've got to start somewhere, folks. You might be 80 years old and just hearing about spiritual warfare. I say praise God. Get involved. Pick up your sword and and follow Jesus. Okay? It's never too late to get in the battle. I mean, if you could impact one person and that person was saved from the pit of hell, wasn't it worth it? Because hell's for eternity, my friends. And there's a lot of people on that road right now. You know, wide is the way that, that leadeth to destruction. You know, narrow is the, the gate that leadeth to eternal life. If you be that enter therein. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But it's so true. We've got to sound the alarm while we can. We've got to get delivered. We've got to see our families delivered. We've got to deliver our friends in Jesus' name. Jesus is a deliverer. But, I mean, we've got to, he'll use us as the instruments to pray for people. We're nothing but bond servants here on this program. Mega Man is nothing but a name. It's uh, it just it just kind of embodies the whole concept of you know the men and women of the last days of the end of this age. You know the last man. 
Uh, I hope to endure till the end, to the last trump. But if Jesus Christ sees it uh, fitting for me to lay my life down, then that's the least I can do. I'll lose my head for Christ and count myself honored. Eleven of the twelve disciples gave their lives for Jesus Christ. John the Baptist. That's the minimum we could do. Praise God. And there's a, a martyr's reward, I might add. Only God knows our futures, but we need to occupy till he comes. If he returns and, you know, a few years from now, we got another hundred years. I don't know. I know it's getting close, though. But we still got a job to do down here. Do I hear an amen out there? We need to bless Israel. We need to feed the poor. We need to help the widows, the orphans, stand in the gap for the innocent. We need to do the deliverance ministry. And uh, I just praise God out there for uh, the friends, supporters of the program. But um, no greater ministry you could get behind folks right now than the deliverance ministry because there's so few willing to take up the challenge. I mean, it's a miracle when deliverance occurs. It really is. That's Jesus Christ setting men and women free. And uh, God needs a few more good men and women. There's plenty of room on this bus. Are you going to get on or are you going to say, please excuse me? I would rather um, just watch football, Lord. Well, my wife doesn't really like what you all talking about in that program. I can't listen anymore. My husband says you're all wackos. Folks, it's a demonic spirit in them activating to try to keep you from getting deliverance and being used for Jesus Christ. He came to set the captives free. And uh, I'll tell you, I've taken enough beatings, so has my family. I've seen enough carnage. My own father was killed by Leviathan. How many of you have lost family members due to the attacks of Satan? How many of you are under attack right now and have gotten some relief? Well, praise God for that. Don't stop short. Don't give the enemy the opportunity to bring in reinforcements. It's like when Worley said, attack, attack, attack. That's God's marching orders. We've got to keep the enemy on the run, my friends. Not fear. Get into the fight. Get into the fight. Let's work while there's still some time to work. Do I hear an amen out there? Well, in about 30 minutes, we're going to queue up this program. So God bless you. And we will be having programs all this week. So uh, tune in. Uh, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. Uh, our archives are available at blogtalkradio.com slash omegamanradio.rss You can also get them via iTunes. Remember Miracle Internet Church? PatHoliday.com CopyBible.org WRWPublications.com HBCDelivers.org Oasis Ministries And all these uh, great ministers of God are on my website or will be shortly omegamanradio.com And uh, if there's a guest you'd like me to bring on Send me a suggestion. We'll try to get them. Shannon at OmegaManRadio.com.